everyone, and welcome to episode 99.5 of the Retrospectors podcast, Mailbag 4. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Turlings. James, it's an absolute delight to be with you here for our fourth Mailbag episode. These are far and away some of my favorite episodes, and I'm glad that the show has survived long enough for us to get to the fourth one. Yeah, and I'm glad so many people have sent in questions for this one, too. I feel like the questions get better and better every year. So we're really, really glad for all of them to come through. And I'm really glad to have some time off to not actually have to play through a game over the Christmas break. It's a bit refreshing after doing so all year long. Yeah, the time saved is definitely appreciated. And it's just fun to get out of our usual wheelhouse because I still think we'll be bringing our usual perspective uh to these mailbag questions but we get to talk about i guess a lot of the things that influence our perspectives through the lens of these questions and i agree with james these questions are bloody fantastic uh it was it was a lot of fun writing the answers for them and i spent several hours doing so so i hope we won't disappoint in our answers to these delightful questions tonight yeah i I do say time saved but what that really means is it's like three or four hours instead (laughs) of like 18 (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so um, a big thank you to our Discord community for submitting all these questions. Um, honest to God, this is why we do the podcast in a lot of ways. Um, we do it, obviously, because it's nice to have a soapbox to to talk from, but it's even better to know that we're being heard. And uh, this Discord community, to me, is one of the best, best things to come from our podcast. And we really appreciate uh, everyone who's joined, and even more so the ones who, who ask the questions. James, I'm I'm rearing to go. Do you want to just jump right into this? We need to explain the show to people who have never <laughs> listened. Let's uh, yeah, let's skip that. I don't, if you if you're starting this episode on Mailbag, if you're starting listening to us on Mailbag Four, I don't know what to tell you, but thank you, thank you, and I hope you enjoy the uh, the assorted yeah. ramblings that we're going to be getting into. So what I've done is I've grouped these questions by person who asked them. So I had to do a bit of chopping and changing. We've grouped a couple of questions together that were very similar. And I have cut one or two questions just in the interest of time. Uh, We had uh, specifically Mayday Mima, uh, one of our longtime listeners, asked something like six questions. I think we've cut it down to three or four just to make sure it's nice and balanced. But we're good. Patrick wanted to cut the really long one, and I said no. I spent the effort on that one, <laughs> yeah. so he has to too. We'll, we'll be getting to that in a second, but yeah, James, <laughs> that's going to be a solo answer by James because uh... I definitely did not prepare for this one. Um, we're going to be starting with Mayday Mimi. He was the first one to ask a question, so I'm just going to go through all of the questions he's asked. We'll ask them one by one, and then we'll move on to the next listener questions. So the first one is, what modern games would you play for the pod if they were retro? Um, we also had one of our newer listeners, Hodor Gorgon, ask, you guys have done a couple of newer games over the years. Would you consider doing an episode every so often of a new game you've been looking forward to playing? So I just grouped these two together because they seemed a bit similar. James, how would you answer this question? Well, for the second one, we already uh, sort of are trying to do more modern games more regularly. Um, We're doing Pathologic 2 next um, because we both, well, the first one was really interesting to discuss. Um, But I also would kind of like to do it more often than we have been. Um, Although, you know, you kind of have to strike the balance of not doing it too much. Um, uh, as for the games that I would play right now for the show specifically, I have four answers for this question. Someone over-prepared. It's not a competition, James. Yeah. So the first is Rain World. 
which I think we would both enjoy the misery of struggling oh, through that game based on our um, experiences with like Resident Evil and Pathologic. So, so James, can I just say I have one answer for this question, and that answer is Rain World. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of the everything I read about that game makes it sound like you know it's a real it's like one of those games you really have to like persevere through and like mm -hmm. learn how it works under the hood in order to to survive and that kind of thing i feel like you know there are a lot of people who say it's too hard or too bullshit or whatever and i kind of like that would be very fun to talk about and share the suffering on the show um yeah i've heard that it's got like this living ecosystem and hierarchy of creatures that you know feast on others uh, yes. There's a real feeling of vulnerability for the player, but the player also has very high maneuverability. Um, and a lot of the game is about, you know, outsmarting intelligent AI instead of becoming strong enough to fight them head on. And yes. I've even heard that the way the story, that like the game has a story. I just found about this recently and the way it slowly unfolds as you persevere and advance through the game is apparently really good as well. So this is one that uh, I've been saving for a rainy day. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's very funny that uh, it's the same game. But go on, James, hit, hit us with your other three. So I've mentioned this game on the show previously. The next one is Catherine. I think kind of block-pushing visual novel-style game would be... It's very strange. There is no other game quite like that one. I think, honestly, these days the games I value doing for the show more are the ones that spark interesting discussions that we haven't had before, mm. not necessarily like this game is really popular and everyone loves it it's like yeah but i've played all these games that do stuff like that before we want to talk about new things you know yeah and, have more heated arguments and i'd be up for doing more <laughs> visual novels because we haven't really done much in this space like we've done police noughts and ace, ace attorney <laughs> those are the two we've done right there's no others we're gonna we're yeah we're gonna sit down for like 60 hours with some, <laughs> some real uh yeah real jank um but i would be up for that too um and then the next one uh smt strange journey um i love 3ds dungeon crawlers and that is one that i've had on my radar for a very long time um and then the final one is factorio which i think would be really fun mm. to just yeah i've um i've watched mandalore's review of it so i have a basic understanding of it it does seem like the logical evolution of something like we, we've did emperor the last kingdom yes yeah so it, it definitely seems like a modern take on the city management sim if you will although still different enough to uh have its own un unique flavor unlike some yeah, it, of the other ones which are just kind of very similar it's like you've got this big equilibrium machine that you're trying to balance in this state of good while trying to make it bigger and bigger right that's like the the nature of those games right like it's balancing these resources and all of these external factors while trying to expand and yeah, not um, having to reset every mission i think would be uh would be very enjoyable just constantly building up that sense of progression would be great yes i think that's a good selection of games james i think yeah definitely rain world would be our number one and maybe i mean just from how we've discussed it probably our next one um catherine though uh is one that does seem interesting as well and i would like to dabble more in puzzles and visual novels so i i would say that one's on the radar as well all right next question also from mayday mima what game that you've played for the pod 
do you believe has fallen the most relative to its reputation it received at the time? Oh, this one's easy. I, I have two answers. So I, I'm sure one will be the same, but I have two answers. So my first answer is Goldeneye. Yep, which, that's one of mine. Yep. Um, my second one is King Kong. Mm. And then I had a third one with two stars next to it, because I don't think this game has aged poorly, but in our opinions of it compared to other people's opinion of it is much lower and that was Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. Huh. See, I don't know. Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, I think, has, if anything... I think it's aged well. Yeah. I just, yeah, it's weird. I just didn't enjoy it as much as I was expecting was, to based on the hype. It was certainly a surprise, and I think that a large part of that is that uh, I guess what we wanted from the sequels to Splinter Cell is probably not what yeah. other people's wanted. Whereas we wanted an escalation in the challenge, it kind of went in the opposite direction in the favour of gimmicks. I feel like we had the same thing with Resident Evil 4, but we were able to look past it. <laughs> I think for me, GoldenEye is definitely a great answer, because that game is not very good. I do think it has some interesting aspects to it, but at the, it's just not a very good game. Yeah, it's kind of fun like running around hip-firing, we <laughs> agreed on that. Mm. It weirdly feels nice to shoot things in that game, which... I wasn't expecting, but man, level design and visuals and music, like everything's just like... Mm, Terrible. I, I, yeah, I really don't think it's good yeah, anymore. And I liked its um, difficulty structure of having a set of objectives. Yes. Yeah, so it's not that it has zero it's still merit. an interesting game, yeah. right? Yeah. The, the game I had is, which to me is probably my number one, is Another World. I, I think that is a game that is very much a game that was received insane acclaim at the time it was released. But if you give that video game to anyone to play it today, they're not even going to understand what's happening, despite it being remastered, you know, 15 different times. I think the, um, like, the rotoscope animation style makes it hold up. Like, like I feel like when it came out, rotoscoping gave you animation way better than um, most studios were capable of doing manually. Mm -hmm. Um so I think that aspect it holds up, and at least the remaster that we played still looks nice, I think. Mm. Um, Gameplay-wise, it's interesting, because I kind of like want more games that, you know, like, I feel like Another World and Ecstatica were both the same genre of dumping you into this world with awkward controls and hoping that you figure out what how to move the story forward yeah i feel like ecstatica at least was not too complicated to figure out what to do next though another world had multiple moments in it where i felt like the logic required <laughs> to try and solve some of those puzzles just drove me insane I I yeah. was really annoyed by that game. <laughs> Everything in the well, middle of that game just drove me nuts. I I I tried so hard to not use. It does Ecstatic account as another answer? I don't know if it got that much <laughs> reputation to begin with. Yeah, I, I I get. I guess Another World felt very um influential. I know that Hideo Kojima has cited it as one of his influences, and certainly I think it went on to inspire a lot of the cinematic genre yes. of um or the cinematic angle for a video game. So in that sense, it was influential and highly revered. Certainly more than Ecstatica was at the time. But uh, yeah, yeah. definitely, <laughs> once again, they're both interesting games with interesting elements to them, but they're not fun to play today. They stink, and I wouldn't recommend them to, to nearly anyone. Okay, so um, now we get to the question that... Mayday Mima asked that I immediately was like, no, nah, we're going to skip this one. We're going to cull this one because it's too time consuming. It's too time consuming. I did it. So Patrick has to <laughs> <Listen>. now. 
Okay, so the question is, what were the best games of each year since the year you were born? So he literally wanted us to re research and recite 30 plus video games. So, so James, take it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here is James's list. I don't have a list, but here is James' list. Go. All right, so the best games of each year since I was born from 1993, um, where the obvious answer is Doom, no questions asked. 1994, Freddy Fish in the Case of the Missing Kelp Seeds. <laughs> 1995, Putt-Putt Saves the Zoo. 1996, Back to Real Games, Super Mario 64. 97, Symphony of the Night. 98 was really hard. There's Ocarina of Time, Metal Gear Solid 1, and Pokemon Yellow. Going to have to give it to Metal Gear here, probably. Um, I find that game to be really enjoyable, but Ocarina is very close. 99, it's either the original Super Smash Bros. or Crash Team Racing. Uh, 2000 Majora's Mask, 2001 Final Fantasy X, 2002 Resident Evil Remake, easy, um, 2003 Warcraft 3 Frozen Throne. Um, the original Warcraft couldn't compete with Resident Evil for me, but Frozen Throne sneaks in here. Now, when I was originally doing this one, um, I was like, whatever year Mushihime-sama came out in, I'm going to pick it for that year. Now, Unfortunately for that game, it came out in 2004, which is the same year as Metal Gear Solid 3, <laughs> which kind of blows that one out of the water. So unfortunate for that game. Uh, 2005, what a fantastic year. We got both Psychonauts and Pathologic 1. Um, great year for storytelling. <laughs> Maybe not so much for gameplay. Uh, 2005, we have Black for the PS2. 2007, Bioshock. 2008, Mirror's Edge. 2009, Demon's Souls or Dragon Age Origins. 2010, Super Mario Galaxy 2. 2011, Dark Souls, of course. <laughs> uh, 2012, I have The Walking Dead Season 1, The Telltale Game, and Etrian Odyssey 4, both I enjoyed immensely. 2013 is a game I have about 8,000 hours in Dota 2. Um, 2014, Tales from the Borderlands, which in my opinion is the best game, you know, Telltale ever released, and by far the best game in the Borderlands franchise, no question. 2015 was the hardest year for me, I reckon, more harder than 1998. 2015 was the year that both Undertale and Bloodborne came out, both which I thought were like incredible games that I loved to bits. Uh, 2016, we have... Persona 5, Etrian 5, and The Witness, all which were fantastic, I thought. And then from here, 2017, Cuphead. Um, Love the animation in that game and the gameplay. Celeste for 2018, of course. 2019, Disco Elysium. 2020, Doom Eternal. 2021, I didn't really play many games, but it defaults to Psychonauts 2. And then 2022 is, of course, Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel. So... <laughs> That is, um, yeah, every game since I was born. Yeah, it really shows that recently, in recent years, we haven't just we haven't consumed many video games, many modern video games, right? Yeah, I've been too busy playing the games for the show. <laughs> exactly. I also yeah. think um, that the lot, like uh, the years since the pandemic started, we saw a big like, you know, lapse in releases because of that. So it's been a few slow years with, you know, there's been stuff like Elden Ring and master duel but 
um nothing huge right yeah and honestly just listening to your list makes me wish that i'd answered this question because that seemed pretty fun so i might i might do my own <laughs> list and post it later uh it, it it is interesting it gives a snapshot of the uh of the games that james and i value so uh, thank you very much, James, for putting in the effort to that question when I Fuck was you, clearly Patrick, too lazy. Not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, uh, Mayday Mima's question spree continues with, which of the games that you've played for the podcast feel the least retro? Um, I'm going to start off with this one. To me, the best answer for this question, without a doubt, is actually Freelancer. And I think it's the best answer to this question for two reasons. The first is that its presentation and graphics and controls all feel really modern. Like this game looks fucking gorgeous even today. The second reason that I feel it feels like a modern game is that it has repetitive open world grinding content. <laughs> so I feel yeah. like it's both marks in terms of being a modern game in that it looks and plays and controls like a modern game but it also has this big gaping hole where its soul should be, where, the, <laughs> where the, I guess the meat of the gameplay should be. So I think Freelancer, far and away, is the game that feels the most modern. I think Freelancer had plenty of soul. It was just everything else that was lacking. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the game that comes to mind immediately for me is Riddick Butcher Bay, but that's because we played like the PS3 updated version of it <laughs> that's uh, true that, yeah um switch played very very modern like maybe chaos theory that game actually did feel a bit more you know modern even mm -hmm. though i criticized it before and then it, it's kind of hard i feel like there's not a lot of stuff that feels super modern otherwise from the stuff that we've played actually it's hard and it tends uh, to be the newer games. Um, I guess I'd also just give a shout out to Super Metroid, which although it doesn't actually feel modern, like you definitely feel like you're playing an older game. I think that the game design, specifically the uh, level design and the progression of power-ups, could like this game could come out tomorrow with, with the level design and the progression of its power-ups, and it would feel like another metroidvania like it, they kind of perfected the formula in a lot of ways in the very first title which to me still blows my mind i've said that multiple times it, it was really shocking to me just how tightly that was all designed so although it doesn't feel like a modern game there are parts of that game uh which feel not just modern but like refined modern um can i say police knots because that game's gameplay is identical to modern visual knots. It, it's not though is it like it, no it's not yeah actually. it's not even close like police knots does the whole exhaust literally every yes dialogue option and examination multiple times in order to progress i don't think modern visual novels follow that formula right um, maybe like we could count a platformer like something like Drill Dozer almost just because yeah. modern platformers happen to be mostly retro styled anyway I find like Celeste and stuff but that game had like a lot of mechanics in it and it was tight without maybe that maybe that makes it not a modern game because um modern <laughs> games are filled with bloat <laughs> no I, I feel Drill Dozer's a um a far better call than something like super mario brothers because i oh sorry is that the one we played the was super mario, super mario world super mario world yeah i feel like super mario world is uh, doesn't feel modern because it's not a tight design it's kind of 
messy and fun. Whereas, yeah, Drill Dozer feels far more like what you'd expect from an indie platforming game that got released on Steam today. I'm still not happy with any of these answers. I still feel like they all feel pretty dated to me. Freelance oh. is the best answer. Let's let's be honest. Okay, so um, final question from Mayday Mima. If Thief 2 Gold was ever released, do you think it would have improved on the game overall with better pacing? Uh, just a little bit of context with this. Uh, both when Thief 1 first re released, Thief 1 The Dark Age, something like that, uh, it was it has four less levels than Thief Gold, which is the version that most people would play today. There was a Thief 2 Gold planned with four additional levels and some extra bits and pieces that never eventuated. So, James, do you, I don't know if you read this link at all, but do you think adding four new levels to Thief 2 would have improved on the game overall with better pacing, or do you think it would have been kind of the same game regardless i don't really feel super confident answering this one honestly because mm. i'm not as invested in thief as you are so i was kind of going to defer to you on this one to be honest oh, yeah, that, that that's good because i do have an opinion on this which is that i don't think it would have really changed our view of the game very much the main problem with thief 2 i think is just basically the end portion of the game because do you remember there was those two levels at the end uh casing the joint and masks where it was literally the same, the same level, level twice in a row yeah and the that level was shit and you had to do it twice um and then after that you have sabotage at Soulforge, which I think it's it's interesting. Sabotage at Soulforge is the massive map, James, if you remember, like the absolute like fuck the off final huge one. map. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that map has some interesting ideas and like the concept of a final gauntlet that you have to go through as, you know, the professional, you know, you've played all the other levels, here's your final challenge is a good one. But the map is just too big and too confusing. There's no way to track which antennas you've turned on and which ones you haven't. And you just get lost you can just miss you could just literally just miss one antenna in a room that you've been to before and not know you've missed it because the level is so big i think the the principles behind that level are fine but it's like they didn't take the time to refine it into something good so the problems with thief 2 is not that there's not enough content it's just that there are levels in the game which needed polishing and enhancing and if they had done that, it would have been a much better game. Adding in extra levels doesn't fix those long, shitty parts of Thief 2. So, yes, I would have liked to see some new cool levels, but I don't think Thief 2 Gold would have made the game any magically better. And besides, Thief 1 Gold had added the Mission Thieves Guild, which made the game worse. So I, I don't even know if it would have added that? Oh yep. my god. That, that's one of the missions that got added into oh. the game. It wasn't in the original. Yeah, maybe it would have made it worse, jeez. <laughs> anyway, thank you for the question about Thief. I liked it. And yeah, I um I have played a Thief 2 custom map since we played and I enjoyed it a lot, although it was very tough. It kind of makes sense. Uh I can't remember the name of it, but it was uh it was difficult as hell. Okay, so thank you Mayday Mima for your excellent questions. All right, next question is from listener Haitu. Which games from the podcast have you changed your mind the most about since reviewing them? Ooh, that's, that was an interesting one. I have, feel like I have an idea of what Patrick's going to say about this one um, based on our conversations. Because the other, the other week, I think one of us brought up Police Noughts and I remember Patrick saying, man, that was a good game. And I was like, 
wait, you didn't recommend it when we recorded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely that's a game that's like grown stronger in my mind. I, I think because I have the concept of the story and the atmosphere in my head. Uh, and, and now that I've finished about it, the hours of yeah, yeah, I forgot about the how painful the process of playing that video game is. But definitely, it's one that I remember more fondly. I don't think I've changed my mind about it if I critically think about it, though. Um, my I've got two answers for this, but the first one's like extremely obvious, and that's F Zero GX. Nice. Yeah, I, I I thought that that would be the one you'd say, James. Well. I feel like I've heard you say that before. I, I guess know, so maybe much. I brushed it off. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it makes sense to me a lot. Um, for me, it's probably Super Metroid. After playing mm -hmm. like Prime and realizing all of the things I valued, I still like. I rewatched gameplay of it and was like, I still don't feel like I want to play that game, but I do mm -hmm. appreciate aspects of its design more and more every year so it's, think... it's kind of the opposite of metroid prime in that it's moment to moment gameplay is horrendous but the process of being a player moving through its world is exactly what makes it so special like yes existing because you see people and they're just moving from corridor to corridor right but yep. when you're playing the game that's not what you're doing you're like navigating through the world and that that's that's a really hard thing to, I guess, explain to someone if you're just showing them footage of the game. Yes. And then I looked through the list of every game we've played, and this one, I hadn't thought about it since playing it. And then when I saw the name, I was like, man, I'd love to play that again. And was like, wait, I was like lukewarm on it <laughs> like back then. So that one was Tribe's Vengeance. I was like, man, skiing is fun. I'd like to do mm. that again. <laughs> Actually, it's a, it's a good answer, but I, I kind of agree that if I were to actually play through it again, I wouldn't enjoy it as much. But I agree, skiing is amazing. Like, that's a game mechanic that we just haven't seen replicated since, and it's awesome. It's one of the most fun movement abilities in any game I've ever played ever, and I don't think that can be understated. And then last one that I had here was print prince of persia warrior within the second <laughs> game we ever did yes i'm so happy to hear you say that after playing the first prince of persia i understand how much better this game's combat was <laughs> than the original um and i think having not found more platforming games with similar like 3d platformers with a similar platforming system i appreciate the movement in that game more and more every year i think yeah, Assassin's Creed, unfortunately, killed Prince of Persia in a lot of ways. It's very sad. Yeah, much um, worse. <laughs> my final answer to it, uh, much to my chagrin, James, is Vagrant Story. And I think, I think the reason for this, obviously, I really like the story of this game, but I think that when I was talking about its gameplay, I, I said, like, I don't think this game's gameplay has tremendous depth. It's complexity over depth. I think yep. the gameplay in Vagrant Story is actually pretty good and interesting. And I think that after playing other JRPGs, <laughs> it just made me appreciate the systems that they had at play here so much more because they were trying so hard to do something multifaceted and interesting that when I was exposed to games which seemed to be more focused on grinding than anything else it's made me really appreciate this the the systems that had at play even if they didn't quite work and i think that if they were to remake this game with a overhauled menu system 
um, I would probably give it a try, which which is a long way from, I think, where I started with this game. I, th I think if you can improve the UI, and it, that is no easy task given the complexity of the video game, yeah. I think that you'd have a, a tremendous game on your hands. I think something that it did really well that I didn't realize at the time maybe was that it kind of had this like sped up grinding process where instead of like painfully focusing on grinding characters you focused on like grinding your weapons and weapon skill strategically like mm. based on what you were fighting without like actually padding the game out with like hundreds of enemy encounters so i kind of liked that aspect of it i think the weapon system ultimately like once you know what you're doing it's very straightforward it's like there's like one stat you max or something it's very one-dimensional but those kind of games when you don't know what you're doing there's like an enjoyable process of figuring them out which i have always really enjoyed so um yeah I i'm kind of like that is kind of in fallout 3 and in this game is kind of like a joke like i, I don't actually think it's a good system because it's usually extremely easy to figure out what to target. There's not really... What, what the system kind of promises, I think, is opportunity cost. It's like, oh, I have all these different options with different hit percentages that have different effects. That's not how it works in practice. It's, it's very easy to immediately figure out the correct limb or whatever to attack. And uh, that's something that I would just get rid of from this game, because I don't actually think it adds that much. I have encountered a system, like a limb targeting system that actually is interesting. Oh, well, what's think, it from? So in Etrian 4, mm -hmm. well, in all the games, basically, you can use these spells that bind, like, like you can disable heads, arms, or legs, and every single enemy, every single attack in the game corresponds to a limb, and like the monster will like use a bite attack and it doesn't tell you, but you can infer that that means if you disable their head, they can't use that attack. Hmm. And then later on in the game, it gets like harder to figure out which is which. And also those moves tend to be very low damage in a game that's all, all about like killing things quickly. So I think uh. that... I think that system's really cool, um, especially because it like it really plays into the like role playing side of things with like the description of the attack like being a clue as to which like what you're like you need to figure it out. Because I think in like Fallout, it's like he's holding a gun. Okay, I'll shoot his hand <laughs> or like his eyes, and then because everyone's a human with a gun, the answer doesn't change. But when you have like different weird monsters the answer changes constantly and is non-obvious more more importantly james i think that in fallout the answer the answer is to always kill the enemy not disable yeah. the enemy in a more yeah. rpg oriented game using those that utility in crowd in more control rpg oriented game <laughs> well yeah i mean <laughs> it, it, well yes actually <laughs> have you played that game yeah I, at least as far as the gameplay is concerned, when when you're dealing with a high health monster where utility and crowd control are important, I can see a limb targeting system being a lot more effective. In a game where the priority or the most effective thing to do is to kill the enemy, and that's far more effective than disabling its a limb, then why would you ever try to disable a limb? 
it's about the length of the battle and if it's not just humans every single fight i guess yeah. so yeah i i think um i think yeah vagrant story is certainly one that i look back on a lot more fondly even if i wasn't in love with it i will maintain that the box puzzles in that game are a waste <laughs> of <best>. space <laughs> even as much as james loves them i don't know they had to put every gameplay mechanic possible in that game that's and why the box we have to puzzles... play catherine because the entire game is box puzzles I, I don't mind that i'm into that you know how much i love steven sausage roll well then why can't you get into the vagrant story ones? i don't know i think i just wanted the game to be over james and i kept getting blocked by box puzzles <laughs> it was grim <laughs> but yeah i thanks for the question hi too and i think that yeah it is something that we constantly constantly have to be aware of um when we review a game that's not our definitive opinion for life things do change as we reflect upon them. very quickly sometimes too yeah. so uh second question that haitu asked was um if you were not limited by time what game would you be itching to cover for the podcast Ooh, that one's i've got a lot of answers to this one too but you go first okay so i kind of answered this with a broad genre uh, and there's a lot of games that fall under that umbrella. So if I had to name like one genre where games I wish we could do a whole lot more, it would be strategy games. Yeah, I agree with that. So RTS games, uh, Homeworld, Dark Reign, CNC Generals, uh, turn-based strategy games, um, include and turn-based tactics games in a way like Jagged Alliance to Silent Storm, um, games like Alpha Centauri. Uh, what's that? Uh, big tbs game that's set in space james that you've played master of orion 2 master of orion 2 these are all games that i would love to play for the show but realistically you cannot just play these massive strategy and games for 15 hours and call it a day when we have played these games we've also always had to dedicate almost a double slot to it like with heroes of mind and magic 3 and even then it felt like we were still kind of scratching the surface of yep. what the nature <laughs> of these games were so it's no specific game because there are so many games i would love to play for the podcast but definitely strategy games in general are what i would love to dive more into because i love this this genre i love all of these games when i think of them i get a uh, you know warm fuzzy feelings it's just that realistically we don't have the time to spend 50 hours playing a strategy game over two to three weeks yeah absolutely and for me i tried to avoid the obvious answer of just picking like 10 jrpgs but... <laughs> <laughs> so i have i do have ff7 there and i do have kingdom hearts 2 um, but mm -hmm. then I also picked uh, Wizardry 1, which I think would be, like, one. really fun. <laughs> yeah, it would be one. really fun and miserable for us to uh... do. Um, Baldur's Gate 2, so I can finally pay off that bet I had with um, a certain someone. Um, and Morrowind, actually, I think would be a really fun mm -hmm. game to cover for the show. Um, yes. That game, I think, has not aged well in a lot of ways, but there are, like, a lot of... There are, there's a lot of cool stuff to find in that game and i do actually like the world building of that game a lot more than i like the other elder scrolls games so i would be really into talking about that one yeah i haven't played much morrowind but one of my favorite things about it is apparently when you get a quest from an npc they give you directions not a quest marker they give you directions yeah you have to look at the geography of the world and follow the directions to find a cave and that is awesome I love yeah. that. I 
like that's just that's just a very cool thing that you'd have to do it i think it would do so much to immerse you in the world uh almost effortlessly just by put well i say effortlessly but obviously game studios it can be really, really annoying when you anymore. can't find it <laughs> that's true and maybe that's why they got rid of this system but the, the concept is is very cool and i'm a i'm a big fan of it and i know that morrowind does a lot of things like that Old World of Warcraft quests did that. Like, there never used to be markers on the map to tell you where to go. It was always the NPC's directions in this gigantic game world. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, uh, man, that's that's a topic all of itself. Oh, because... wow, classic. That's a great answer for this. I'd love to do that. We could argue for, like, four hours about I'm... that game. Wow, classic <laughs> may be worse than a JRPG. I, I don't know. It's kind of like a JRPG in its ultimate form isn't it can we play runescape is that man you're going to be very interested in the answer i have to one of, one of these other questions i'll tell you that much james rpgs and strategy games i think that's the name of the game um i would actually really like to do persona 3 actually um, oh my god i'd I love can't. to <laughs> it's just uh, like the constant like 80 idea hours of, it's the like... idea of having to play these games like drives me nuts in some way like really us having this time on our show is a massive buff to me and a nerf to james and i'm forever grateful for that one day <laughs> one, one day, day the baby. floodgate will lift and patrick will quit okay <laughs> So thanks. To, that's that's a good question, and I think yeah, it definitely shows where, where we're orientated. Okay, final question from Hi Two is: the podcast focuses on games from two thousand and five or before. Is there a genre where you think games of this age tend to have aged particularly badly, such that it's hard to find a title a modern gamer would enjoy? And a genre whose games you think have aged particularly well, and why? Because the genre was already fully developed to that point. Or another reason, uh, James. You tell me. You start off with games that have aged gracefully, or a genre of games has aged gracefully, and I'll start off with a genre that has not. Gracefully, that's difficult. I actually couldn't think of one for this half of the question. I have plenty oh. of answers for the poorly one. But <laughs> I feel like almost. I've got every... an answer, James. Okay, it's like it, to me the only answer is platformers. No, um, it, it, it's not. Not platformers. The answer is racing games. And the reason I'm in a great position to answer this question is that all of the racing games we've done have been not just good, but very good. Burnout 3, F-Zero, Podracer, Diddy Kong Racing. I enjoyed all of these games a lot. Obviously, F-Zero more in hindsight than when I played it. And what's more, James, I, for the purpose of this question, am a modern gamer with racing games. I didn't play these games really growing up except for Need for Speed Underground 2. So what i found playing these games is that they were all enormously enjoyable and you know intuitive to control and learn so if i can enjoy them as a relative newcomer i think most people who are new to it would be able to get something out of them and would not find them nearly as alienating as pretty much any other game that we've played so far today that's a good answer i actually think that of all the games that have suffered, I feel like racing games are one of them. I feel like the only... It's like you have, like, Mario Kart and your, like, Forza Sim-type games, I think. I think lots of the, like, um, really experimental ones, like stuff like Burnout and Need for Speed and F-Zero have all kind of, like, died off because you kind of have the, like... The audience who is into car sims because they love cars and like the kart racer audience and i don't think there's much overlap in the middle well i know that games like colin mcrae rally 2 
still have a big mm. following, and that's quite an old uh, car sim game. Although, honestly, this is a I, this is kind of very a blank space. So someone who's more into car sims can probably answer this better than I can. But yeah, I just feel like you could get someone who hasn't played racing games before, give them a racing game that's twenty years old, and they would still have a good time. Like mm. it, it's it's a very kind of intuitive set of controls, particularly if they've done any driving in their life before. Well, in that case, I'll let you start out with FPS, sorry, with games that have an age. Okay, so I have three answers. So two of these are puzzle games and mm. and mobile games. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mobile games, I feel, is a bit cheating because for a long time, you only had stuff like on your dad's old Nokia that barely ran. Um, snake, snake, yeah, basically. And there was um, that spaceship shooting one that I can't remember the name of. Puzzle games, I feel like, barely existed as a genre for a long time. <laughs> oh, they did. They were called point-and-click adventure games. Yeah, or like literal bejeweled clone, like stuff like that. I feel like, you know, your portals and your um, witnesses and stuff like that really Steven took... Sausage Rolls. <laughs> took a long time to develop. Um, but my real answer for this is 3D action games, not named Devil May Cry 3. <laughs> um i think basically every like 3d brawling type game has aged quite poorly i think that everything that comes out now just completely destroys those old games um i mean this this is a genre that i'm not like obviously i played the older devil may cries uh, devil may cry 3 and prince but, um... of persia <laughs> In God of uh, War. Uh, it's it's interesting. I, I, I guess this kind of genre has kind of died out in favor of Uncharted. Like they've really fused the cinematic quality into 3D action games. So they've kind of almost diminished that whole I, aspect I, of them. I actually think that Dark Souls killed this genre to a degree. <laughs> like even like even God of War like quit being this mashy brawling game and became a more methodical over the shoulder kind of game right like you don't see those kinds of mashy games other than like like the only game that i can think off the top of my head that plays sort of like that is like genshin impact um kingdom hearts has had like one game in like how long i guess i, I that's the game i've been playing through kingdom hearts one as i told you and that game I mean, it's because I'm an idiot and I'm playing on proud mode and I'm not grinding at all. I do have to be a bit more deliberate. Yes. But even then, I can't resist doing a bit of mashing and, you know, it sometimes works out. So <laughs> is, it, is it a bad thing that this died? I don't know. That sounds kind of like a shitty gameplay design. Well, I think... Thank that you, Dark Souls. I think either way, I think it's a perfect answer for this question. <laughs> so my answer to this question is actually FPS games post Half-Life 1. So... Yeah, I think they're an absolute slew of shitty FPS games that came out around that time between like 1999 and 2005. Um, and it's all Half-Life's fault because Half-Life 1 showed that you could tell a kind of cinematic story in an FPS game instead of it being about murdering people with guns. And as a result, you got a bunch of games that were copying half-life or trying to without fully understanding why they were copying half-life or without any of the skill or brilliance that you know caused that game to come into existence so if you play there are so many generic shitty fps games from 1998 to 2005 that this was the kind of thing that stood out like uh, there's a guy uh called civi 
who reviews a lot of these FPS games, um, the good and the bad. And I got to say, there were so many bad ones and far more bad than good. Specifically, that chunk of time when the design principles of FPS games fundamentally shifted into something else. Um, and I feel like it wasn't, they didn't really crack it until Call of Duty 4 came out and showed this is what a cinematic FPS is meant to look like. All of the in-between stuff were kind of just not very enjoyable. I feel like the vast majority of good shooters in the last few decades have been primarily multiplayer games, honestly. I feel like a campaign is almost there to get you on to playing the multiplayer. <laughs> mm -hmm. That is pretty um, accurate. I mean, you could look at something like... Uh, certainly Stalker Shadow of Chernobyl, a game I'm playing through now, is a lot more interesting as a single-player FPS game than most games I've played. I really enjoyed Crisis as a video game. I know that that game has a reputation for being a graphics game, like it was all about the the aesthetics, but it actually is quite a fun FPS game with all the different abilities you have and all the different murdering you get to do. But yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a desolate genre nowadays in a lot of ways. What's that game with the purposely awful art style that came out oh, recently? Oh, Cruelty Squad? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cruelty Squad is a very interesting game. I, I hesitate to call it a great game. I feel like it's overrated in some ways. Like, I don't think it's quite as fun as people say. But it's what it does, What I guess the artistic statement that it's trying to make with its design is amazing. Like, the... <laughs> The story of Cruelty Squad and and how the aesthetic ties into that is fascinating. And I don't want to say more than that, but there's a whole rabbit hole to go down down with that game. It's far more than meets the eye. And certainly when I first bought that game, James, I, un I uninstalled it. And it's only after coming back to it, you know, six <laughs> months later that I've um, grown a deeper appreciation for for what it's trying to do. I often find that those games that you push through a second time and actually manage to enjoy end up being like really enjoyable generally. Yeah. Funnily enough, less less so for its gameplay than for its aesthetic and story, believe it or not. Yes. Which is a weird thing to say about that game. All right. So we're at about 50 minutes and we've got heaps of questions left. What are we doing for music breaks this uh, episode, Patrick? Um, I hope you have something planned. Um, no, I didn't. I thought we could just pick a random song from a game that we hadn't played on the show yet. Um, and then, you know, we'll go with that. The, the one I'll go with for this one is last time we did Metroid. Um, and we noted that I really liked the music from, uh, the overworld, uh, just as I did in Super Metroid. And I was trying to figure out exactly why that was the case and i realized that as a kid i had a copy of jazz jackrabbit installed on dos on my computer um and one of the so and that game came out like six months after super metroid and one of the tracks very closely mimics that i think i don't know if it was intentional but i'm very nostalgic for it so i'm going to share the medivo soundtrack from jazz jackrabbit one which was originally made by epic um so here it is
So that was the Medivo theme from Jazz Jackrabbit. Um, Patrick, we've got a heap of questions to get through still. What's next? Okay, so next up, firstly, thank you, Hi2, for your excellent questions. Uh, next one is from Gerog Bro. Through the games you played this year for the pod, were there any lessons learned that can be applied to your day-to-day non-gaming lives? Oh, that's an interesting one. I had a few answers to this. So I'd, I'd say the number one would just be general analytical skills. Like I feel like, and I don't know if this came from the games or more so just us arguing and working out like, you know, fallacious thought patterns that we had previously and moving through that. I think I benefited a lot from that. Um, I guess I say the number one biggest thing was being able to more easily see criticism objectively and not feel personally attacked. Um, I don't think I was quite prepared for that going into the show, but now it just doesn't mean like I don't feel anything anymore, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, certainly uh, things were a lot more spicy emotionally volatile (laughs) at the beginning which honestly we both knew we were getting into so it's not like we went in and you know the other person's feelings were seriously hurt or anything it's just that you know we were a bit more emotionally invested in our discussion whereas i agree with that first argument we had about banjo (laughs) i i think that nowadays we um I mean, in some ways, it's a problem because we end up being too respectful of the other person's opinions. In some ways, I agree. All your all your opinions we end suck. Up, we're not closer to the middle, but I, I I like that. I like that about our discussions now. It feels more mature. It is. A, uh, it's easier to recognize when you disagree and just to like let it go. <laughs> that, that's yeah. a big one. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think that I've gotten better at understanding um, different perspectives and. I guess accepting that you can have different conflicting perspectives on a topic and that being okay. Yes. I, I, I think I think before, or at least I've, I've certainly seen a lot of other people, they act like it is impossible to have two contrary opinions exist on the same topic, which is fucking nuts. Like, you can have so many different takes and interpretations and perspectives on anything and the world is better for having that diverse sense of perspectives because it means that when other people come to discussions and analysis about a piece of media or art you can find a perspective that somewhat aligns with how you feel in some way shape or form what? no you can't it's when... <laughs> I, I think it's when people say definitively this is the only opinion that can be have on it aka when there are sacred cows that can't be criticized, that's when you should be very wary of what they're saying and you should be almost be prepared to call them out on their bullshit because who is so... Who the hell do they think they are, basically? It's okay to have an opinion and hold it strongly, and in fact, I encourage people to do so, but to be to refuse to be open to other perspectives is a very, very bad thing. Yes. Also... <laughs> Something that should probably have been obvious to me that I noticed far too late was that if somebody has developed an attachment to something based on a flawed premise, for example, if I said, I love the sky because it's the color green, right? (laughs) Um, Mm. And then somebody says, actually, it's not green. And they're like, oh, that's true. 
it doesn't mean that all like 10 years or whatever of liking that thing disappears suddenly <laughs> like you can mm. tell them that their premise is wrong but you know they still have you know all that time of being invested into that thing right like their opinion doesn't change instantly it happens over time if it happens at all and you can also like something and acknowledge at the same time yeah. it's not very good like that's fine like if i guess the number one thing i've learned is that some of those a lot of those contradictions are actually okay and are important in discussions yes. you know you need to have different perspectives um, the answer I had for this, James, is actually time management. Although I'm uh, still, yes. <laughs> a, I'm still a little, um, I'm still a little shaky in this. Certainly, you've mastered this far better than I have. And pretty much every one of the delays we've had to do over the past year or two is my fault. It's never been on James, I agree. except, except, <laughs> hey, listen, you got you got sick a couple of times. Therefore, we equally all right. to blame. I got the cool Tony Hawk's episode. <laughs> yeah, you did, you did, yeah. So <laughs> certainly, um. While my time management isn't anywhere near as good as James, it is better than it used to be, and I'm going to take that as a win. Yeah, I agree with that. Mine has uh, improved massively thanks to this. Um, although I probably wouldn't give that. Like, I, I don't. I think the question was trying to be a bit more about what have you learned from games rather than mm. your experience on the show, and I didn't really have a super good answer to that one. Um, but definitely, like doing all this is you know, had a lot of positive impact on my life. I agree. Um, I love doing it, James. Thanks for doing it with me, mate. Nice. Um, okay, so next question. So this one is from Garrig Bro and Rossu, dude. I'll just read through both of them. Um, so Garrig Bro goes, what do you think about the trend of remastered games? Is this the correct way to make older games accessible to audiences with modern expectations? Or are they shameless cash grabs cashing in on the nostalgia of older players? Have you ever seen a remaster of a game you haven't played and given it a chance because of that remaster that you wouldn't have otherwise? And then Rosso Dude uh, further says, do remakes revitalize old games for modern audiences or do they stifle innovation and lead to subtle qualities of the original being forgotten? Okay, so these are pretty similar. They're both about, you know, the nature of remasters and remakes. And I find this topic kind of interesting because I'm wondering if in the next decade or two, they stop being necessary. Um, now, I thought this was the case years ago, but then we got The Last of Us 1 remastered, and I was like, why? <laughs> um, but I feel like getting up on this generation moving forward, it's probably not going to be as necessary. You know what I mean? Even, even when we did Resident Evil 4, I was like, this game plays pretty like a new game oh that's a great answer for the, the the other question resident evil 4 that game has quality of life features out the ass so uh firstly specifically on the topic of the last of us uh remaster there is a very good reason for it which is that it's never been on pc before so if you're going to release it for pc and reconfigure it and everything you may as well do a graphical update at the same time right yeah and that was my answer to the second part which was like have you ever played a game that you wouldn't have otherwise and basically all instances of this can be related to a console game coming to PC, basically. It's not mm -hmm. about all the other upgrades. It's about how easy it is to access to me. Yeah, and one um, of the ways these companies can cover the cost of porting a game over, although I would say that cost is a lot less than it used to be with the convergence of architecture, yep. is to re-release re a remaster at the same time. So... Uh, 
I would say in general, I am far less mad about remasters and remakes. And in fact, I would almost, I would say on balance, I'm more positive about them than negative on them. Uh, I think it's firstly important to distinguish remasters from remakes. I would say something like the Resi 2 or Resi 4 games are remakes, and I would consider them just new video games in the yeah. same way that you would consider a remake of Casino Royale or the Coen Brothers True Grit. Something and, like the Final Fantasy VII remake. It's yeah, just a different game, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's, just, it's just a different video game, and I would never... I, I just don't have a single bone in my body to be mad about people who remake things because we have been remaking and retelling the same stories throughout the history of humanity i mean the lost lost odyssey and iliad formed the basis and the bible formed the basis of human literature and we have retold those stories endless times let people remake these things and give them their own perspective and vision on them as much as they choose right like i i just don't think it's a bad thing i don't think it's ever a bad thing yeah. um remasters it's a bit trickier but on balance I think that what I would say is that I don't really give a shit. Like, you have good remasters, like the Command & Conquer remaster, which basically kept the game exactly the same, but they remastered the audio and they gave you widescreen and they had some quality of life things like yep. you, could, you could unit queue, whereas before you had to make units one by one. But effectively, the game was the same. People love that. I mean, like, great. It's a way for people to... Exp and they charge $20 for it as well, which was a big part of why it was so well-received. I think that the main category of remasters to be made at are lazy cash grabs, like GTA being remastered eight times or Skyrim being remastered eight, eight times. But you can just not fucking buy those games. Like, it, it doesn't actually hurt me in any meaningful way. So I know people get mad about remakes and remasters, but I just can't summon the energy. If if it's a if it's a remaster, I'm in favor. Sorry, if it's a remake, I'm in favor overall. And if it's a remaster, there are chances that it's gonna be a good, gonna have an overall positive impact. So yeah, yeah I'm in I favor. I also just think it's a very like case by case basis kind of thing. Like if Nintendo said they're remastering F-Zero GX, I would be like, sweet, you literally can't get that game on any system without buying a used copy of the original pirating it. So it's like, that would be awesome. Um, and then there's stuff like the Final Fantasy X remaster, which they outsourced and they did a really bad job of everything. So mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I, I think it's a... Uh, I think it's something that's inevitable, basically. Um, and it's just, you know, you have to wait and see if it's good. My basic feelings on this is I feel like the problem isn't the remasters or rem remakes themselves. It's that a lot of the discourse that emerges in the wake of a remaster or remake is um, is, is stuff I disagree with. And Rosso, Rosso kind of touches on this when he says, do they stifle innovation and lead to subtle qualities of the original being forgotten? Well, I kind and of I think... agree with that second part. I actually do agree that for the most part, there will be subtle qualities lost. Like, unless you're like, even if you're like the same exact people who worked on the original and it's been like a decade, you will not remember, you know, everything that was going through your head when you were making it originally, right? You just can't. There's just mm. too much in every facet of the development and if you're reconstructing something it's kind of 
and you're not adding anything new, it's kind of inevitable that stuff is going to be lost in translation. So, and and I can cite an example where you've been mad at the existence of a remaster because you think it leads to a worse game, which is Majora's Mask. I know you've yep. brought that up. And I know that you've also brought up the Demon Souls remake as particularly after I listened to the Demon Souls remake music, I was like, what have they done? done to this what have game? they done? Yeah, what so have they bad. like? How did they? How did they make the music actively bad from such a gorgeous soundtrack? It's it's mind bending. So it's understandable that people are like cautious about remasters and remakes. But to me, a remaster and remake can be shit or good in the same way that a new game can be shit or good. Yeah. I think what you said about a case by case basis is is critical. To have a generalized opinion opposing remakes and remasters doesn't make sense to me. Critiquing specific remakes and remasters as being cash grabs or an inferior product or whatever it is is that that does make sense to me. Like like shape your critique specifically to those things. Don't just say remakes, remasters, bad, because it's far too simplified an opinion. I do want to touch on the Stifle's creativity thing as well, because to me, like, if a company is doing a remaster, there's, like, there's a few reasons that could be. It could be there's either there's demand for it, and in which case, like, why is there a problem? Like, of course they'll do it, because people want this game to be remastered. Two... The company is strapped for cash, right? And I don't think, you know, and they need rock a star. Buck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, See, they're not strapped for cash. They're just they're they're milking it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I feel like yeah, there's a lot of heated discussion around this concept, but it's not specifically about remakes and remasters. It's everything that emerges from it, which is people saying this remake is strictly superior to this to the original game. And that's just a nonsensical thing to say. Like you just appreciate each one on its own merits, compare them as different games and think, you're, um, you're fine. The version of Dark Souls on Steam currently, the remastered version is strictly better than the original janky mess. Yes, with, uh, that's with, with games old... for Windows Live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my Strict God. improvements. <laughs> that was the worst. <laughs> Thankfully, and you know, DS Fix came out. <clears throat> DS Fix came out like, two days after the game, which just increased the frame rate from 30 to 60 with yeah. like a sim. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Like that. So dark Souls in dark souls defense, like that, the whole story of that is fascinating. People made a petition to get dark souls on PC because dark souls was like dominating the entire gaming media cycle. And all the PC players like me were salty. Uh, and, they did, but From Software had literally, you know, hadn't made PC games for 10 years because ever since they stopped their Kingsfield games, they'd stopped. So they got, did the shittiest port known to mankind, but overall we were still grateful because we got Dark Souls on PC. And after that, the Dark Souls, oh, after Dark Souls 2, <laughs> they did good PC ports. Um, also, one final thing with this question, um, Garrick Bro asks, have you seen a remaster of a game you haven't played and given a chance? I think the best answer for this one is actually System Shock 1. So the System Shock 1 remake uh, adds a lot of things, but probably the most important of which is mouse look. Because when the game originally released, it didn't have mouse look. It was meant to be played with a keyboard. And I think that... Man, I was about I to say been... that's not out yet. <laughs> System Shock... Oh, well, the remake, right? <laughs> like the yeah, Night yeah. Dive one. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. That does not look very good for what it's worth. But anyway, I, I, I think that the 
remake of the original System Shock one that's available on GOG with mouse look and, you know, some better UI options was a lot more accessible to me uh, as a player who's never really played one of those dungeon crawlers strictly on a keyboard before. And I'm kind of honestly intimidated by the idea of doing it without mouse look. Um, one of the games I'm fascinated in playing one day is Ultima Underworld because it's been described as like one of the, you know, like as the birth of the immersive sim. And I have a deep love for that genre, but there's no mouse look in that game. You have to control a, from a 3D real-time perspective with keyboard. And that's that's a big ask for me. Like, that's a very intimidating thing. So System Shock 1 Remake, which introduced quality of life features for a more modern gamer, got me invested in that game and interested in that game in a way that I maybe wouldn't have been otherwise. So if you want an example of of a game that is highly regarded but is... I guess a bit hostile that tipped me over the edge. System Shock One. What about Resident Evil? Well, I I don't know. I think I could have played the original Resident Evil. I yeah. think we would have played the first one. I yeah. think, I, but I think we won't play the first one now because of it. It was so a bit it's too. Almost, it's almost the opposite of you know the, what the the question is asking. But uh. it, it's a bit too similar because the problem is that we need to we don't need to, but we choose to diversify the games we play for the podcast instead of doing multiple games that are very similar. Like and stealth Resi games. Yeah, they're all radically different. But but like we didn't do Resi Two not because we 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 jumped to Resi Four not because we don't think Resi Two is worth playing but because it's very similar to the Resi 1 remake. And that's why we also didn't do Resi 1, because it's very similar to Resi 1 remake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, great question. I, I, I love discussion around these topics. And I think ultimately the number one reason to, uh, to want remakes and remasters is that it creates discussion about games that have been forgotten. And that is a good thing. Like, even if you think the remaster is shit, all of a sudden peep, everyone's talking about this old game that no one would have been talking about otherwise and what's good about it. And that's a net positive as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Next one. Okay, next is Scion Storm, who, who used to, uh, he's guested on an episode with us on our Streets of Rage episode. And we, uh, we've been on his show. He's now moved on to uh, Clearer Waters with his Star Trek podcast, which honestly feels like a more natural home for him in a lot of ways i think he's a big star trek buff and uh i uh i get along with him because of that uh he appreciates deep space nine which you know is is something i always look for in a friend first question he asks, and this is this is a big one uh if you could develop your own game what kind of game would it be what have you learned from the games that you've played for the show that you would apply or avoid um it's interesting so i think if i was to make my own game i would have to pick something doable basically um which basically means either like a platformer a puzzle game or like a dungeon crawler with very simple art um mm. so to me and you know my day job is software development actually um so i, I really understand um the need to minimize scope in order to make projects doable um mm. And as for like stuff I've learned from playing games, I feel like a trap that I would fall into is that I would like be like, all right, this game has this element that I love and this one has this one and this game has this awesome thing. And I feel like I would try to cram everything together and it would turn into a tasteless soup 
of mechanics basically mm. um uh, but i think there's a lot of stuff that old games do that new games could do more like i think the number one important thing is to have surprises in your game that fit in with the gameplay like stuff like you know like how metroid has and the hidden moves and stuff like that or like things to engage you later on into the game because i feel like the hardest part is always once the game settles into a rhythm and it's like 15 hours long and you've been doing the same thing for a while you need to like introduce ideas to keep things fresh every now and then i completely agree with that like prey is one of my favorite games of all time but that game in its final third introduces nothing new and i think it's massively to the detriment of that game's pacing and i have only finished it once, but I've got to the two thirds point like three times, and I just yeah. I just stop playing because I lose interest because there's no more surprises. So I think I think that's a fantastic point, James. Um, the only other thing is um, player agency to me is really important. Um, I don't like it when games make decisions for me, or like they waste my time, or they do a half-assed job of taking control away from you something i hate like i like cutscenes in games but i hate Mm. when games try to pussyfoot around doing cutscenes because they don't want to take control away for the player and they do these (laughs) half-assed half-life 2 baby (laughs) yeah shitty gameplay that just wastes your time when instead they could have something that looks cool so my answer to this question is a bit cheaty because the truth is while James has a background in software development, I do not. Um, so I don't think I'm capable of developing a video game. But what I do think I'm capable of, and maybe it's kind of arrogant for me to say so, but what where my talents more lie is certainly writing. And um, I, I've thought a little bit about, you know, the writing in a video game. And I think that the number one influence, if I was to ever write a video game, would be absolutely be pathologic and pathologic does a lot of things interesting in a narrative space and i mean pathologic often gets talked about its gameplay but what it does is in a narrative space as well and this isn't even the fourth wall breaking stuff this is just the brick and mortar way it tells its story is absolutely fascinating to give a couple of examples of things it does is number one it's the density of its world building the the town in pathologic has a very dense and layered history with these different factions and these different characters between these factions which also have their own independent hierarchies and then a bunch of those independent characters have specific relationships with other people and other factions it's a very complex web of relationships and history that exists but before you even set foot in the town and that kind of density of writing is something that you really only see in a game like i don't know disco elysium or immersive sims to some degree but pathologic does it you know better than most so if ever i was to write a game i would strive for density over scale i i guess is how i put it because you know the scale of pathologic is small but the amount of stuff shoved into that town is ridiculous even more interestingly i think is that we've talked a lot about how we love it when games are more hostile to the player and in fact games that we've even disliked like ecstatica and another world we're still fascinated by the aspect of them which is hostility to the player 
I think Pathologic is one of the only video games I've played where the narrative and the way they craft the story is hostile to the yes. player. Because it still frames it. The, the really cool thing it does is it doesn't feel like it's taking away from your agency. When you play Pathologic, you are extremely important. You are the healer. Maybe there's a couple of others, but you're the one in your playthrough who's mostly getting most of the things done and you're the only one who can realistically try to save the town you're a figure of tremendous importance but instead of making you the hero like you would see in a typical rpg where everyone is supporting you and then you go on to confront the big bad with the support of everything and the narrative is wrapping around you as a player instead in pathologic everyone or nearly everyone is out to manipulate and abuse you and take advantage of you and lie to you so you're still critical to the development of this story in all of your, the actions you're trying to take to resolve this pandemic but everyone is fucking with you yes. and you see this i think particularly in the bachelor playthrough where every single attempt to do good is almost immediately thwarted because of other factions screwing around with you. But it, it's it's true with the Harris specs as well. You're the most important character, but everyone in the world of Pathologic has their own motivations and desires and goals, and they are actively working towards those, even as they're having civil conversations with you, asking you nicely to do to do this thing. So I think that Pathologic's ability to write a story that is hostile to the player that still has you as a central figure influencing things is is remarkable. Like, I, I really haven't seen this before. And if I were to write a game story, if I could capture a fraction of what Pathologic does with its story, I would be a happy man. So, yes. yeah, I know, I've, I know I've monologued for a while here, but yeah, if I were to try to create something in the in a gaming space, I would try to give the player an experience that Pathologic gives you instead of trying to shove a story down the player's throat. Also, I'm no artist, but I hate um, modern game UIs, and old game UIs are pure soul, so be some <laughs> chunky would, mess from me. You would make some absolute disaster of a UI. Yeah, like Diablo 2's, like, covers half the screen with, oh like, demonic pictures, like, that kind of thing. Do, do you like Cruelty Squad's UI? Oh, I think it's hilarious. It's so funny. I think I will probably play that at some point, like... I do it's, like it. It's so that UI is just the most hilarious. It's so good. <laughs> it's so it, funny. It's, it's so hard to even understand. You know how you reload in that game? Oh my god, it's so oh. funny. Yeah, uh, you hold down the right click and you pull down on the mouse, and you have to bring it below the a line to reload <laughs> the gun. And if you don't bring it down below the line, the gun doesn't reload. It's so good. <laughs> it's so funny it's like it's like the developers like how can we make the most fucking stupid reload system i know let's do this it, it's like a joke yeah thank you for that question Sion storm because um or drew yeah obviously i can't make a game but pathologic storytelling blew me away and i think that i wish it would get more recognition uh, even more so for the story it tells than the fourth wall breaking stuff, because I still feel that distracts from the brilliance of just the story it's telling. Yeah, I guess for me, the real answer is a game where I can minimize the amount of art that it requires, because I feel like I can do all the programming and I could maybe learn music, but I feel like art's the real killer. Art and animation is what gets stick in the mud. So something yeah, very simple that. looking. AI generated baby. <laughs>
Yeah, there we go. Problem solved. All right. Next question from Drew. If you could have dinner with any single real person in the video game industry, who would it be and why? What would you ask them about? And this can be literally anyone, composers, developers, programmers, et cetera, et cetera. Ooh, that's a good one. I have two answers to this. Um, mm -hmm. The first one, and I wonder if we've uh, had this question before and I've answered it previously this way, but it's really the only good answer. Well, it's like, to me, it's the best answer to this question. And that is Ice Frog. I think <laughs> that is like, I would love to do oh. that. One, one, to learn his true identity. Um, and two, just to talk about the guy whose game I spent like 8,000 hours on. So <laughs> that's, that's a good question. All right. A good answer. Cause yeah, I'd also like to meet him. Although I feel like he just wouldn't say anything the entire dinner. I'd be asking questions and he'd just be completely be like, quiet. I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> For me, um, this is a bit esoteric, but there's a guy, uh, my answer is Jay Tholen, who is the designer slash artist slash composer of a video game called Hypnospace Outlaw, which I think secretly is one of the most interesting games ever made. It's Hypnospace Outlaw is a game I think I've talked about a little bit on the show before, but it's basically uh, a game where you play as a moderator for a fictional mashup of GeoCities and MySpace, where your job, where you're assigned uh, tasks by the creators of this website to track down things and moderate them, remove them. Like it might be there's illegal music sharing going down and you have to figure it out and censor it, or people are posting copyrighted images and you have to find them and censor them. And there's more to the game ultimately, but what it is is that it's a brilliant detective game where you have to logically identify links between people and web pages and do basically Google searching to identify key terms to figure out where all of these hidden infractions are, all the while uncovering the stories of the lives of these people who live in the 90s internet, which for anyone who was alive back when the 90s internet was a thing, uh, this game just nails it. It's it's just perfectly 90s internet. Everything about it feels real. Um, Do you have lots the, of cool toolbars that Nan downloaded? The, the, <laughs> probably one of the first things you do is download a skin for your music player. Nice. Uh, most people's oh websites have horrendously animated GIFs. Uh, one of, you know, it'll be like, here's a skeleton playing a trumpet on this side, uh, you know, playing a tune, and there, here's it flipped on the other side. Um, <laughs> it's, it, is, it is incredible. Like, no joke. This guy invented an entire fiction entire fictional music scene with evolutions and branches uh with you know 15 different entries purely for the purpose of creating a music discussion forum and all of the discussions that would emerge from it and i just want to i guess peck this guy's brain because i think he's created one of the best most innovative puzzle games of all time alongside one of the most interesting ways to tell a story and tell uh, once again it's a web of interlocking narratives ever and he's done it almost by himself definitely had help with some of the music composition and the programming and stuff so it's not exactly a one-man show but he's he's the guy so i'd love to sit down with him and figure out what how he came to this genius idea that's a good answer i 
Can I um go back to our old question? Is a website a video game? Can I say that it's something that is aged poorly? Like retro <laughs> websites are just terrible. What you don't like mini clip? I do. I guess the backgrounds in Mega Man Battle Network. <laughs> that exact Not very thing. good. Yeah. Yeah. Good question and certainly an interesting one. Do check out Hypnospace Outlaw. It's it's the best. I love it. <laughs> um. Okay. So next question is from. Uh, I, I guess what we'll do is we'll we'll jump back a bit. So I've I've grouped the questions by name. So we're going to jump to Grothwell thirteen, who says, "If you could play any series blind again, which would it be, and why is it Dark Souls, Patrick? Why is it Dark Souls, Patrick? <laughs> it is it is not Dark Souls. What? I do I do love Dark Souls to pieces, but I got to say, my first experience with Dark Souls was not pretty." <laughs> I, I like honest to god, like I got to Analondo and I stopped playing. The game got too hard. I I bounced off it. This is one of those games that I played a lot and then stopped playing. I didn't enjoy it as much. I didn't get it. I didn't have much experience with this genre of character action games. Like I'd played Devil May Cry three, and Dark Souls is very different from Devil May Cry three. What eventually got me into dark souls was the repeated play like the repeated effort i put into the series and then the repeated playthroughs i did of it once i'd beaten it that's why i appreciate dark souls but mm. i don't think i'd want to wipe my memory of this game and start from scratch because i'd have to go through uh, what for me was a pretty rough experience where i didn't have like a support network uh, which which i think is important to get the most out of the game um, I do have an answer for this though, James. Do you want me to go, or do you have? Do you want to go first? I'll go first. Um, so to me, I think there's like two lines of thought that you can go through with this answer. Like the first one is you play a game again that you love to pieces, and you want to experience that for the first time again. Um, for me, the obvious answer there would be like Resident Evil One. Maybe I don't think I also don't think I would choose Souls. I think um, games that lots of the enjoyment came from how invet like how much time you spent getting good at them mm, like mastering if you, them, yeah, yeah. lose losing that's painful and it takes away the current enjoyment of easily beating them <laughs> like, can you imagine like having losing all your dota 2 accumulated knowledge and having to start from scratch it'd be awful right that happens every patch patrick let's you say that james but there's so <laughs> it's not much... quite true no yeah no um but then i guess like the other answer that I would give is games that I played as a kid that I think it would be like if I could like forget my original experience, play the game fresh as an adult, and then remember the original experience and compare mm. them. That would be fascinating. Like ah, stuff. That's cool. Like if I played Banjo Kazooie one again fresh and then compared that to, you know, I'm like, how much of that is nostalgia? So do you have a specific answer for this, James? I think some 3D platformer would be the answer. I think Banjo-Kazooie is a good one because mm -hmm. I suspect that there are elements of the design that I would really appreciate still, but mm -hmm. I do think a large part of my like for those games is the nostalgia, and, and I kind of would want to test that, I guess. Well, it's interesting. It's not just nostalgia. It's, it's also that these are your formative games. So they... Um... Yeah, like when I played them i didn't have you know a baseline of understanding right yeah like it, it makes me weep tears of joy every day that i didn't grow up with jrpgs because i could have been one of those people like, i could have been one of those people defending I them and thinking they were great. i could have been but instead i grew up with good video games and i'm i'm so grateful and so happy 
Um, I can't even but, say Warrior Within because I praised it this episode. I know you did. You've, you've snookered yourself. Yeah. I have a very easy answer for this question, uh, actually, and that answer is Dark Outer Souls. Wilds. <laughs> Dark Souls. After <laughs> everything I said. It's uh, Outer Wilds. That game is uh, magnificent. Um, it's a game that one of the few games that truly capture exploration in the way I wanted to. It's the kind of game that when it came out, I felt like they made it for me. Like it felt tailor-made to what I've been craving in video games, which is open-ended exploration that um, where the things you discover are meaningful. Uh, and it, it's, it's, so, it's so good. I, the, the fact that you can just go anywhere from the start and you just get to figure it out on repeated loops is just such good design. I love that game to pieces. The DLC is bloody fantastic. Um, the only problem with it is that because it's a puzzle-based game and because your ability to solve the puzzle is gated by knowledge everywhere, once you've played it once, you're done. Like, you can't enjoy it in the same way on repeat playthroughs. And in some ways, it's nonsensical to do a repeat playthrough because you'd have to artificially limit what you were doing, which takes away from the whole freeform yes. exploration of the game. So... It was a brilliant experience. It's and also it's fine as as a one off playthrough. Like some games are meant to be played once, and that's okay. But if I could experience it again, I'd be happy. And I hope there are more games that are released like Outer Wilds. And I'm looking forward to the next game by that developer. Maybe stuff like The Witness falls into that category. I guess most like, puzzle games. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually, when you were talking about that, I did think of a real answer to this question, which I had mm. not thought about. So, okay, so if under the condition that I can leave myself like a note or something like that to give me advice, mm -hmm. um, the game I would pick is a visual novel I played a few years ago called Raging Loop. Mm. I loved that game, right, to pieces. Like, it's like 30 hours long, and I finished it in like three days. Not three, like... Week, like weekend days like three work days like i got home at five every day stayed up to like 3 a.m <laughs> forgot to have dinner and then went to bed did that three days in a row barely did any work a day because i was like thinking about the game for three days and that game has like a really bad ending <laughs> like to the point where it like some bad endings it's like oh that was bad but the rest of the game was good that game's bad ending kind of undermines the rest of the game um it's like a it's a it's a mystery right it's a visual novel that's a time loop mystery um you know about solving murders and the final reveals really bring everything down like a lot which you know to me that was like my favorite game in years when i played that and then mm. in, up until the ending so play that game and then stop halfway through yeah and i think that's it's going to be biased towards story and puzzle games for for these kinds of questions right because you experience them the best the first time through um so we're gonna duck back to drew now because he had a follow-up to this question asking same question but instead of blind what series would you play blindfolded which ended up being a more interesting question for me to think about than I originally thought. Yeah, I have like a trouble trying to figure out like an answer to this. Like you need a lot of auditory stimulus in order to do that, or it needs to be like short and you need to be able to memorize the, the actions. Or both, right? I've got yeah. an easy answer to this. Okay. Doom 1. 
Doom Baby, 1993 Doom. Heaps of of audio because you've got all of the monster noises. You can even, you can hump walls to give you audio cues by pressing space. You can shoot the monsters to give you more audio cues. And the levels are very short. Like if you're, when you look at the speed runs of these levels, like most of them are under 30 seconds. Now, would I do a blindfold run of any game ever? Probably not. But I think that Doom 1, with me enjoying FPS kind of movement, um, it's the kind of thing that I could do. I, I reckon that's, Patrick, that's a game for me. I'll buy you dinner multiple times um, if you finish Doom 2 w- with a blindfold. <laughs> oh, my God. That one level with the, uh, with the pits where you yeah. have to go along. Oh, my God. I, I, think, I think it's interesting because I don't think this is something I would do, but when I'm thinking barrels about, of like, fun. barrels of fun, oh, my God. But, but don't you think that, like, it's the kind of game that you could realistically do it because it's short, there are audio cues, and you've got a lot of different ways to orientate and figure out your axis of movement? I was, I, I was almost tempted to pick one of the Thief games for this, and then I was oh like, God. man, there are what? so many ones that are bad. And I was like, dude, it's, <laughs> Thief has, like, you have to steal 90% of the loot, so you yeah. want to... You, yeah, I was like, I was like wait spend, a second, that's a oh, terrible that is, idea. That is the worst answer, oh my God. What, what yeah. about a point-and-click adventure that has, like... <laughs> oh, that's... Like, that's interesting. See, I'm just trying to pick games that are easy, not games that are fun. I don't think I could. I think you need something with strong audio cues. That's what makes it fun because then you're not like you can't see, but there are other ways to orientate yourself, you know? Like if you if you once you train yourself to to pick up on those audio cues as meaningful and you've memorized the level geometry in your head i'm i'm also going to take this opportunity to recommend my favorite summoning salt video uh, that he's ever done he kind of does like history of speedruns, and that's the history of uh blindfolded uh punch out and it's awesome because when people first started doing the blindfold punch out run it was you know the old how they have those speedrun convention yep. things james so the very first iterations of that was like eight people on a couch like and then it got to 20 people on a couch and so on and so forth but basically the guy who did the punch out speed run as a joke was like all right it's time for the blindfold punch out speed run and you know he lost on level two and so this this history of this speed run starts off with this joke one where they didn't really know what they were doing to people figuring out how to blindfold just get through the game and then the history of people refi- constantly refining how to complete it in faster and faster times. And I think it's incredible that it went from something so ridiculous to a genuinely, you know, tightly contested speedrun category. It's, it's a great video. I've thought of two answers, actually. The first one is a bit of a cheat, but I think it would be really fun, is mm-hmm. if you... There was a mod for typing of the dead that read out the words on the screen. Ah. That, that would be fun. It would be like a touch typing. And then that leads into, I guess you could do something like Zork 1 because you just need to memorize the text that you have to type in to progress. That would be <laughs> You make a typo easy. and you get stuck for three yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you have no idea. Um, and then I reckon you could do the Stanley Parable blindfold. Ah, 
actually th- that that's a good answer i like yeah because it's all voice prompts and the rooms are very small corridors and you can't really get lost if you just go in a direction you'll be like ah i found the broom closet ending it, this also reminds me i saw this great clip of this guy who is blindfold speedrunning ocarina of time which to me in theory seems insane because that's that, that's crazy isn't that but... game easy because you just do the skip at the start that teleports <laughs> you to the end the end no this was uh no skip but the, oh, the okay. idea is the idea is he uses the um the grappling hook thing to to i guess figure out the distances because the longer it takes to make the noise the longer it does oh. uh, anyway the funny part about this is he accidentally did a glitch out of bounds and obviously he wasn't aware of this and he spends like 10 minutes being incredibly confused <laughs> as to what is going on because he's obviously memorized the entire game at this point and he just for the life of him cannot figure out where he is because he's relying on the audio to orientate him and it's all like completely different from anything it should be so he keeps like thinking he figures it out then getting completely tripped up it's very good i'll i'll add that in the show notes as well Blindfold speedruns are funny. I, I like them, although would I do one? Probably. Probably not. Good question, Drew. Thank you. Yeah. And that's all from Drew. So thank you for those questions, Drew. Um, I think we'll do a couple more questions, James, and then we'll go to a uh, music break. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to go to Sinus R2, and this is a bit of a chunky question, but I'm going to read it in full. What do you think of the wave of retro-style games that became so popular in recent years? By this, I mean games that try to imitate the look, feel, end gameplay of old games like iron fury dusk thimbleweed park maybe bloodstained the avgn games shredder's revenge etc what in your opinions are the do's and don'ts in regards to making these games are you getting tired of them and what changes to the current approach would you suggest moving forward to keep this genre in inverted commas relevant or are they fine as they are Then he adds, I, for one, used to get excited about every one of them initially, but due to that oversaturation of recent years, less so now. They still might catch my attention if it's a genre I like or used to play a lot. Um, He also says that we should review one of these for a bonus episode. This is interesting because I have mixed opinions on this. So there's been a number of good ones, right? Like to me, the one that stands out actually is something like, uh, Shovel Knight, which I thought was excellent. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if this counts, but Streets of Rage 4 was really good, and it's basically like the exact same game, but a bit better than as 2. Um, and I think mm-hmm. the Ninja Turtle one was also supposed to be quite good. I don't know if that counts, because it's just really just a sequel, but it does feel like it's trying to like imitate some of that old stuff. Yeah, it's a sequel, but not a sequel that's tried to Reinvent I guess the wheel. keep up yeah. with modern gameplay trends. It's it's like the that game could have conceivably come out two or three years after the original yes. in a lot of yeah. ways, right? Which I was really yeah. fond of. Um but ones that didn't do it for me, uh I guess ukulele being the primary one, um I thought was kind of disappointing. Um and mm-hmm. four things I wish that would change is I would like to, I'm really getting tired of SNES-style graphics, basically. Something that I've noticed is that there's a bunch of sprite-based games on the PS2, um, even mm. after, you know, 2D stuff was falling out of popularity, that looks really cool. 
And everything yep. that emulates 2D does this like pixel art style from like forever ago updated, but nothing kind of captures that style, I guess, because so few games were coming out at that time. I would really like to see some throwbacks to that era. I, I think it's in part is because it's much harder. Like when you increase the, yeah. And like, I think we mentioned this in the Symphony of the Night episode, because the graphics designers were used to making pixel art, when Symphony of the Night came out, these were people who had been like they they'd been they'd mastered the pixel art and then all of a sudden they get told they get to i don't know was it quadruple that pixel count and symphony of the night comes out it looks fucking amazing and still does to this day i don't think your random indie game developer who's never done a video game before is probably capable of doing something on the quality of symphony in the night like they just don't have that uh wealth of experience yeah, so I, I agree with you, particularly with the graphics. I am a bit softer on graphics specifically just because it's a good way for indie developers to not be limited by yes. budget. So I do think, yes, I also am a bit tired of a lot of those retro graphics, but at the same time, I'm it's kind understandable, of right? giving yeah. to Yeah, it's understandable, yeah. And I think it can be saved by art direction, but yeah, when it all starts looking the same, it's... Have you seen um like Blasphemous, the art for Blasphemous? Yes. It's like a 2D, yeah, like that's a game which probably is closer to Symphony of the Night in terms of art style, and that game does pull it off. I'll tell you I that. I tried much. playing it. I was but, not a huge fan, honestly. Me neither. But but the aesthetics oh, of that incredible. game are fucking insane. Yeah. Taking a step back, um, I have a broader answer to this question. So I've played a lot of these retro throwback games, particularly in the first-person shooter space. Um, I've played Iron Fury, Dusk, and Medieval, uh, Proteus. Oh, you must love that because um, it's getting rid of all of that cinematic bullshit that bogged the genre down, right? I I do yeah. like that, yes. Um, but more broad. But at the same time, I have to say I agree with Sinus that there are aspects of this where I am getting a bit fatigued by it, and I actually. The latest one I played, Proteus, I only probably got about a third to halfway through it before I stopped. And I was thinking about it, and I think it's important to look at why it is that these games seem so enticing. And I think it's because this genre or subgenre of FPS games died yeah. out. Like, we, we saw the continue, like, FPS games continue to exist, but this style of FPS games, this genre... It, it died that they were not making games like that anymore and so it's less about nostalgia i think with these games and more about more of a genre that we haven't seen the likes of for 20 years and i think if you understand in that sense it, it all of a sudden makes a lot of sense i do think that there is a problem when the genre doesn't try to innovate though, which is where the fatigue and the feelings of nostalgia start to set in. And I think the games that tend to stand out are the ones which take the principles of these old games and elevate them into something new. The example I'd use here actually isn't, isn't exactly the same, but, but to, to kind of give you an idea what I'm talking about, uh, there was a standalone DLC for Prey release called Moon Crash. And what Mooncrash does is that it fuses a roguelike structure with the immersive sim design philosophy of Prey, which is kind of heavily based on System Shock 2. And that combination of genres was a match made in heaven. 
it's more what I want to see from these indie game developers is more of that. Obviously, I like immersive sims. Obviously, I like these retro FPS games, but I don't want to be playing the same game with a slight tweak for the next 20 years. I want to see new and inspired and interesting takes on these games that have evolved or taken from the principles of what made the original game so good. And I think Prey Moon Crash is something that is devastating that we haven't seen more um, iteration and evolution on with Deathloop in particular being a massive I feel like Undertale is kind of like that, right? Like it's... um. Ah, great yeah, it's example. Like it takes yeah. what you know what was good about stuff like Earthbound and Mother Three, and then adds uh, its own layer to make it stand out. Right? I think that's really important. Mm. Uh, Undertale is a fan. I love that example because at the end of the day, Undertale's story is friendship is magic. Like it really is. It's about being lovely and friendly to everyone, and that's the best way to get a good ending and happiness for everyone. Right? But it innovates in the gameplay space. It's like, you know what? We need bullet hell. And in murder. Our, in, our, in our JRPG. And murder. And uh, I don't know. I, I think that, yes, it, Undertale is a great example of understanding the principles of what made those games good, which is probably the things underlying the story, and then improving and radically innovating in areas where those games suck dick. So, yeah. Undertale, great example of something that evolves. Uh, what what makes yeah? The genre just don't great. make your twist be making it open world. I'm very very tired of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, another game that I want to mention here quickly is Gloomwood. I don't know if I've spoken to you about That's Gloomwood the thief at all, one, James. Right? Yeah, but it's not Thief. It kind of what I would say is it seems to be like if I had to say it's like a cross between every time you mention this game, I think you're talking Thief. about Darkwood, which is the survival horror game. That yeah, I which also looks incredible, yeah. by the way. I need to give that a go, but I did try and it was too scary, so I stopped. It's four dollars right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm a wuss, Jays. It's it's pretty scary just putting it out there, which you wouldn't think is possible from a 2D top down game. Yeah, but it's man, all in the it sound is, design. I would. Yeah, yes, I will give it another go. But yeah, so Gloomwood, I think, takes... And I've only played the demo, so you know, I haven't seen the final product. But it takes a lot of what makes Thief interesting and then goes in a different direction with it, which is, which is what, what, what I want. And I think what most people more want than another copy of Thief 2. So, so basically, New Blood Interactive, with all their games, is on the right track. Just... just Copy, do what they do, and you'll be in a good spot. All right, music break time, James. What My choice. Pick? What old game soundtrack are we going with, Pat? Oh, we're doing old games, are we? No, 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 no. We're going to do new games in, in a in a sense. Um, a year ago, a couple of years ago, James, uh, the Binding of Isaac released its last major update, which is Repentance, which is basically there was a mod for Binding of Isaac called Afterbirth, and Ed McMillan is like, yeah, we're going to put this entire mod into the main game. No. So he hired the mod team and they just fused it together and it basically doubled the size of the game. It's just absolutely insane. Um, and it includes an entire new soundtrack. And the best song in that soundtrack by far and the best aesthetics of that level is Downpour. I agree with that, uh, actually. I think it's River of Despair. River of Despair is the song name. So Binding of Isaac is a game that James and I love a lot. We've played it shitloads. I actually think it's secretly a mini immersive sim in a lot of ways, uh, which unfortunately by the end game is just a DPS race. But a lot of the 
early game strategizing of that I game still don't is understand immersive what that sim-like. Means, i got to be honest. Yeah, it, it just makes me sound smart every time I say it, James. That's that's a real critical thing to is understand. Is Euro Truck Simulator an immersive sim? It's both a sim and immersive. It's a sim yeah. and immersive. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I saw a Reddit thread like that where someone was asking for recommendations for immersive sim, and it was just a big argument <laughs> about what an immersive sim was or what a sim was. Half the people are like, yeah, there's this farming simulator game you should check out, and they were not joking. It just, occupies uh, the same, it's like the same thing with RPG where the genre name like makes no sense and could be anything. <laughs> yeah. Disco Elysium is an RPG, as is your Oath Absol of Felgar, uh, right? I don't think Oath is actually an RPG. <laughs> yeah, see, this is exactly what I wanted. Anyway, this is River of Despair from Downpour Binding of Isaac. So that was Rivers of Despair from Binding of Isaac. We're going to keep trucking along. Uh, next question is from Stuff. What is a game or genre you guys don't like, but wish you liked? Why don't you like it? And why do you wish you would? So I'll go first here. For me, it's easily uh, the classic point and click adventure games. Uh, many of these have awesome writing and charm, but I just cannot get into the gameplay. Um, I just find that the gameplay grinds to this weird halt when you don't know what to do and it's incredibly frustrating. It's this weird issue of not even knowing what the puzzle is a lot of the time. Um, with modern puzzle design, it's usually very clear what the objective you're trying to achieve is. 
with these older ones, it can be so esoteric that you, you can be just completely clueless. And I have to say that unlike something like JRPGs, mm-hmm. I want to like these. Like, I, I, I've played the original Monkey Island game, and I think it's hilarious. I, I want to get more into these, and I would love to play them more and enjoy them. But when I think about actually physically playing them, I kind of am just, I just lose all interest. So I kind of want to experience them in a cheaty way where I get all of the good, good feelings, but can skip the bad. But on balance, just, just don't like these classic point and click adventure games. And I don't think I, don't I, think I can one. pick a genre. I feel like it's probably a game in any genre that I could point to as saying that I like, I guess for games in particular that i don't like but i wish i did probably like armored core one or something like that like those games i didn't enjoy super but i feel like Mm -hmm. if i feel like they're like a genre that i could enjoy maybe you know they recently announced the new one which i'm actually interested in um yeah so maybe that's an answer to that but there isn't any that I hate particularly that I would like to like. The only games that I like despise, I don't particularly want to enjoy them. So, <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's a good thing. It means that you've got confidence in your convictions. So so thanks for the question, Daxter. Um, now we're going back to Hodor Gorgon. And he asks, um, I love listening to the co-op episode on Chaos Theory when I found your podcast this year. So I was wondering... Would you guys consider streaming a co-op game this coming year, either a retro game or a modern title? And what genre would you consider? I've got an answer for this. I have a specific answer. So if, I'll say straight up, um, probably not streaming. I, I think that uh, I, I've got nothing against streaming, um, but I find playing games to be kind of uh, personal in some way, I guess. So I enjoy experiencing them you know, just myself or if I'm playing a co-op game just with a buddy. Live, I think. Yeah, but not not live streaming. Also, logistically, it's just there's a whole bunch of time management issues which I don't I don't even want to think about. So streaming's probably off the table. However, I would love to do another co-op game. And in fact, James, I've got a specific game in mind, and that game is Ooh, Guild Wars 1. I thought you were gonna say Halo 2. <laughs> No, Halo 2 is one I'd love to inflict upon you and it is one I'd like to do with you, but Guild Wars 1 is the one I'm more interested in doing. So Guild Wars 1, when it came out, the thing that defined this game is that it was an MMO in inverted commas that was uh, only required a single purchase fee. This was an MMO with no uh, subscription fee. Of course, it wasn't really an MMO because the only thing that had player gatherings were the towns uh everything else was instanced but you know i was too stupid to understand that when i was a kid uh luckily the game i remember playing that game and loving it my favorite part of it is the class system there are eight classes in the game and to make your class you pick two of them so there's a crazy diversity in um in classes you can do and all of the main story content is designed to be played by four players so I was thinking, James, it might be a very fun thing if we can... I've already roped in my roommate to play with us, uh, but if we can rope in one other person, it might be a fun thing to complete all of the story content in Guild Wars 1. I would also say the additional caveat I would put on this game, which I think would actually make it interesting, 
is that we wouldn't be allowed to look up any outside I think be fun, yeah. no guides, <laughs> no no add-ons, just just have to deal with the game as it's presented, get through the game as it's presented, pick our classes as we choose, and just figure it all out as we're playing. And I think Man, that would I feel be like a they damn just picked time. the worst like sounding combination of classes and just hope it worked because even if it doesn't, you guys have to carry me worked. through the game. The ledge weight. <laughs> I think. I think the game. Well, honestly, James, let's be honest. How much MMOs have you One. played compared to me? I'm yeah, but you played a lot of it. I'm gonna be the dead weight here. Let's let's just be completely honest. I'm gonna have no idea what I'm doing. So you'll be carrying me even if you pick the shittiest class. I think that'd be fun, actually. Yeah, the only problem is it's a pretty long game. But definitely, I think that there are, there are things about that game which, um, which I think are, are fascinating. And they kind of didn't do with Guild Wars 2, which kind of turned into a more traditional MMO in a lot of ways. So um, Something yeah, I'd be I'd like more interested in doing, actually rather than a co-op game i think would be a single player game mm. where like a strategy game or something like that um with two people making the decisions at the same time i think that would be fun to talk through the decision making processes oh uh, like like we play Alpha yeah Senpai. yeah and we argue about what to do <laughs> Right, so one person's streaming and the others, you know, giving input. Yeah, That's an interesting ago, idea. I, wouldn't I was mind thinking doing about, like, if I play Isaac and you talk me through it, do you have a better understanding of that game? That was a while ago. Stuff like yeah. that I think it'd be more fun. I find co-op to be a bit frustrating, actually, because I've played so much multiplayer. When, when you're in single-player co-op, there's lots of... Well, maybe it's just because Splinter Cell was like this, but there's lots of, like, waiting for the other person that... I'm very impatient. What I kind of like about the idea of Guild Wars 1 with not looking up extra information and just playing at the same time is that no one would get ahead of the other players in terms yes. of their understanding of the game. So I just feel like there'd be a lot of experimentation and figuring shit out and helping one another and kind of like the the spirit of playing those games more casually with friends instead of the optimization struggle that I think a lot of MMOs are nowadays. So maybe it'd be a way to capture that original magic that is now impossible in the face of, um, you know, the internet. Absolutely. So knowledge. yeah, I'd be I'd be down to do it. It's just a matter of time and what. Yeah, I I think the co-op experiment experiment was fun. So we're definitely repeating yes. in some way, shape, or form. Um, exactly what that form is, I'm not sure yet. All right. So next question is from Lions of the Nostalgia Goggles podcast. We had his uh, co-host Dorjin for uh, Mushihimasama. And they were kind enough to have me as a guest on that show for StarCraft 1 because James is a loser and wouldn't yes. let me pick it for this show despite it being a great game, you know, mm -hmm. strategy games, etc. His question is, is there a game, new or old, you've ever been afraid to play because thought you thought you'd be too um, This is a hard one for me. I don't have a... The only thing that comes to mind is maybe something like EVE Online, I reckon. I would be... The kind of thing that would mm. I get sucked into um, and then not be able to get out. I think, yeah, for you in particular, I think that yeah. was a real thing. But I tend to get lost in big, complex games anyway, so it's not like I avoid them. Mm. You, you don't yeah, fear exactly. it, James. You embrace it. If this it. game doesn't involve like 10,000 hours of research, I'm not interested. <laughs> 
Exactly. See, see, the answer for a regular human being, if James was one, would be Dota 2. Like but for Starcraft. James, it's not because he wanted to get lost in that game. <laughs> yeah. See, see, for me, the answer, I guess, is a bit more general. It's like 1v1 multiplayer games. So like StarCraft 1, fighting games, uh, even chess to some degree, because I am a little worried about just that becoming my life. Like if I were to play, particularly chess is something that I've put a decent amount of effort into, and I could just keep sinking more and more and more effort into it. There's no limit to the amount of study or practice you can do in chess. But ultimately, you have to decide at some point, and particularly with the podcast, you want to diversify your interests to a greater degree, spread it around more games and more activities. And if I was to properly get into something like chess or 1v1 StarCraft, it would come at the cost of other hobbies and activities and games. So any 1v1 multiplayer game I have stayed away from because at least in group multiplayer games, if you lose it for a while, it doesn't matter because you've got other people to pick up your slack. In 1v1 games, you have no one to blame. But <laughs> Man, I am like so. the opposite. It's like when I'm not doing the podcast, I'm like, I do so many single player games for the show. I, I basically only mm. play like multiplayer live service in my free time these days because it's like that neat, like that, desire to play single player stuff is fulfilled like perpetually because of all like we play like so many games right um that i don't constantly yeah. feel the need to play more um and i haven't had like a huge interest in modern big budget releases recently so really it's just me mm. sinking dozens of hours into Yu-Gi-Oh or something like that <laughs> Yeah, so so for me, like that multiplayer thing, I kind of enjoy the social aspect yes. more nowadays. So playing Valorant or Overwatch with friends, and more recently, I've played a lot of poker. And poker for me is more of a social activity I do with my friends, you know, once a month, where I'll occasionally go to the casino to play. But um, that that's how I view that 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 spare time. But yeah, for me, yeah, definitely the one v one side of it is something I'm worried about. Okay, uh, next question is from Asa. Uh, he asks, are there any games that you have come across in the years that, that will just not fit, fit within the 20-hour time limit you've given yourselves, but intrigued you so much that you had yes, to play them? I have a couple of answers to this one, actually. Um, so the first answer mm -hmm. to this question, well, both of the answers to this question are actually the games that inspired my comment on the retro throwback question where like basically i really like 2d games from the ps2 era because everyone was so obsessed with 3d finding nice looking 2d stuff with interesting mechanics and stuff like that is like you know my dream also patrick refuses to play jrpgs so it's generally just that as well so my answer to this question is Monokemia and the Alchemists of Al Revis, um, which is a PS2 game, which is actually in the Atelier series um, about um, a bunch of, you know, students at alchemy school doing student stuff. Like there's a weekly schedule um, and the, the point is every week they give you something to craft and then you need to spend the rest of the week figuring out how to make that thing. Um, the thing that got me to play it originally was that I heard the gameplay loop was really cool and it fucking is, it's awesome. So the thing that ties it all together is that it has like a really big, each character has a very big 
skill tree like thing you know kind of like the sphere grid even from ff10 except the paths between the nodes are locked and the way you unlock the nodes is that every single lock says to open this lock you have to craft this item so what you do is you look at the skill tree and you go i want to get that ability and then you figure out how to craft it you're like oh i need this item this item and this item you go you fuck you kill the monsters you make the thing and then you get the item that makes you stronger so you can kill more powerful stuff to make more items to unlock more talents to you know it's like a you know it never oh. stops and the game's got a real big emphasis on like experimentation and that kind of thing and the battle animations are great the characters are funny um it's very silly feels like one of these games that could only exist in that time period the only problem is is it's painfully easy much mm. easier than lunar for example like it's very easy and the only thing that like i didn't finish it but i kept playing because the battle system has these really cool like narrative wrinkles to it that are like funny and gameplay affecting so for example um one of the party members is a ghost um she's haunting the school and you find her and you convince her to join the party so if she gets killed in combat she comes back like two turns later on full health because she's already dead for example um mm. yeah stuff like That's that or cool. there's this character who whenever they kill a monster they put them in their pocket <laughs> and you can like all of their moves are items that from things that you've killed like you just throw an elephant at, you know stuff like stupid stuff like that it's really funny um so i like that game a lot um, but we would never do it from the show because Patrick's a grouch. <laughs> I agree. Um, for me, I have mostly been a good boy and held off playing games I want to play in the hopes that they would someday be played for the show. But I finally cracked. And um, just over the past week or so, I've started playing Stalker Shadow of Chernobyl, um, a game that I have tried to play at start on a number of occasions but never got very far. But this time I am getting far and I'm confident I'm going to finish it. Um, it's a game we could still do for the show eventually. Um, but yeah, this is a this is an FPS game which has it's interesting. Its influence is more in the realm of battle royales, like uh, Escape from Tarkov, than it has a single player legacy. I and I don't really think it was until like Metro people say is inspired by Stalker, but I don't think it really was until the third game, which has some fantastic bits that are better than anything I've done in Stalker, to be fair. But it's a it's an FPS space that is very underexplored, and I just kind of wanted that semi-open-world <coughs> FPS experience. And on balance, even though I have some significant problems with it so far, I'm still enjoying it a lot. Yeah, so so definitely, uh, if I can make James play it one, one day for the podcast and have some time off, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, we'll maybe. Um, Asa goes on to say... Has playing retro games affected your perspective on modern games in any way? Do you notice cool throwbacks and do me or do mechanics start to blend together? Um, it's interesting. It's rare that I see something brand new, um, but there's definitely like, I don't have this sense that some people are like, all old games are good and all new games suck. I don't have that opinion at all. So I think that there's lots of old games that have unique things about them that have not been replicated since um for sure um that you know and it does and they do them in really interesting ways 
Um, I just think it's a very case-by-case -case thing. I don't have strong feelings one way or the other, interestingly. And I know it's a it's a big identity thing for some people that, you know, old stuff is better, but I don't think that that's the case. I think it's different. I guess a way to answer this question is to say the main thing that playing all this old games has done for me is I feel like it's broadened my education on on the um, yes. history of video games because it's quite cool when you get this breadth of knowledge playing a lot of these influential video games you, you can kind of track where and when things came from and how they became popularized and everything from there so uh, it's it's not really that um they've affected my perspective i guess playing all these games except that it's given me a better understanding of how the puzzle of the history of video games is fits together and there are still a shitload of games i haven't played i'm nowhere near an expert on on you know all video games but i feel a lot better educated now that i've played those old yeah games it's like a big library of stuff that we can compare dark souls <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly you have stuff pre-dark yeah. souls and stuff post-dark souls it's like it's like the a ad uh bc yeah. Uh, well, I guess um, it is uh, interesting. The thing it is most interesting, and we we brought it up a bit before, but it's seen like genres that don't really exist now, like kind of the things that people oh. have learnt don't do very well, um, is kind of an interesting aspect. And it is sad in some ways. Like I wish there was hundreds of Archimedean Dynasty clones, and there's not. But it is kind of fascinating. You know, finding really good games that aren't super popular. Um, one of, and I will say once again to sing Dark Souls praises. Oh, so to we're doing heavens, that unironically. One of now. the reasons, okay. unironically, yeah. One of the reasons Dark Souls is important from a historical point of view is that it was a rejection of a lot of the philosophy that underpinned uh, AAA game design at the time. Because Dark Souls did the literal opposite of everything that every other big name game was doing. And not only was it successful, it was widely regarded as brilliant. Like, not just good, but one of the best games ever made at the time it was created. And it demonstrated that there was an audience of people out there who were after the more non-mainstream gaming experience. So... Yeah, I think that basically uh, I, I think playing these older games has made me better understand and appreciate what Dark Souls was trying to accomplish. So it's made me appreciate it even more with every passing year, which is yeah, you know, I guess always... quality of life and accessibility are things that I've been able to like think about and study like what is good and bad about it. Because there was definitely a period where you know, that period you're talking about where I think with the rise of mobile gaming or like at least phones to mm. begin with, um, there was this huge pendulum swing towards making everything very casual. Yeah, but I don't think that the lessons from that era are all to be disregarded. Like stuff like say, like no. the way saving is handled, the reduction of insta-deaths, the removal of life systems that kind of thing relics of the arcade era getting rid of stuff like that i thought was probably a positive step for the industry um it's less about accessibility in a you know 
absolute sense and more like doing it in the right parts of the game. The the way I'd put it is that I think the reason a lot of people felt alienated in that time period, you know, which I would typify as like 2005 to 2012 or 2011 is that the gaming is that the indie scene didn't exist in the same way it does today. There was the gaming industry and it was a lot smaller in terms of scope and developers and everything. So when the gaming industry moved to this more mainstream casual focus, it felt like for me at least that they weren't making games for me anymore. All the things that I liked about gaming, they were no longer catering to me. They were catering to a different kind of player and there wasn't anything to fill the void because the indie scene That was also exist. around the period that the that Wii movement. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was all all part and parcel of it, right? And I I think that's why people get upset not not because mainstream gaming existed the more people get into gaming the better casual gaming is fantastic we should continue to push this it's just that we needed the indie gaming scene to really flourish so that there was games yeah. for everyone and before it felt like that we saw a shift of games for your for your more traditional gamers to more casual gamers and there was nothing for the more traditional gamers or at least there was a lot yes. less uh, so, but but nowadays you can get any kind of game you you like, and complaining about mainstream games or complaining about games being more accessible yep. is nonsensical. Because regardless of how you feel about those games, there will be a hardcore, ridiculously stupid, punishing game for you. You just need to look for it. So don't whinge about nowadays about what what's being done in the mainstream. You just need to look elsewhere and you will find yeah, lots of Yeah, it's like of um, those people who say there's no good music anymore. It's like there is thousands of things you have not explored. <laughs> if anything, like the problem nowadays is discoverability, right? I like, actually that's, think that's that issue, issue like... has gotten a lot better in the last five years or so. I remember how bad Steam used to be. Um, I think that all of the changes they've made recently makes finding stuff to play way easier they're getting really good at that kind of thing i think unfortunately my um discovery cues on steam are still about 50 percent porn games and i think that's all because i played stein's game no no, no that's Tony, i think that's the so, case for everyone so, i think um the trending um search box is always going to be filled with that stuff just because so many people click on it for a laugh it's like guaranteed right. to rise to the top off of that yeah that makes sense but uh, but yeah, I basically yeah to answer your question, it hasn't really affected yes. my perspective. I'd say it's broadened my perspective. Um, Hexity asks, are there any games that you've played specifically for the podcast that you would have loved to have loved but just couldn't? I've got an easy one for this. Is it one Luna? Else. How could it ever be Luna? What <laughs> the answer? Is the Street real Fighter? answer and one you. What I like. Well, Street I don't Fighter. know if you loved it though. I recommended it. Anyway, the real answer is Eternal uh, That's Darkness. one of my answers too, actually. Yeah, it's a game that on paper is everything I love and in practice was just not a very good video game and I didn't enjoy it very much and I'm very disappointed. I think that, um, yeah, that was a game I was really looking forward to and I ended up just... I reckon if I played that it. game as a kid, I would have loved all the stupid gimmicks. Uh, I can agree with that and I think that it would have i would have been less bothered by how 
by the kind of like non-Lovecraftian story that's still presented as one. And I wouldn't have noticed how repetitive the gameplay was, even if as yeah. the aesthetic was changing. Um, but and you know how repetitive the level design was. Oh my god, just thinking about it now, just those endless hallways over and over again. <laughs> Lots of interesting ideas just did not come together in a meaningful way for me. Um, but I w I'm sure there's a version of a game in some universe where it did come I together. I agree with properly. that. I think I would have enjoyed it a lot if I had played it when it came out. Um, so my other answer, um, is Tyrion 2000, actually. Mm. So I reckon this is another game where if I'd played it when it came out, I would have loved it to bits. Um, however, having played what I think is a better shoot 'em up in the same year, um, I, my, I, my opinion was just colored a bit. I think that game's soundtrack is still like fantastic to this day, um, but there's just something about it didn't sit right with me. It's just I was, I'm too in love with this other game and I can't look past that basically. But I think mm -hmm. it's good. Um, yeah, I, Tyrion is actually a great answer because that game was was fine and enjoyable. But I don't, I didn't really get the hype. It was it was fun, but I'd put it like far below Star Fox sixty four. Well, yeah, and it's got all of that hidden stuff in there. I feel like it's the kind of game that because we're reviewing it in a two week period or whatever. Like if it's the kind of game that I sink into and play for a few weeks, I think I would explore all that stuff more. I feel like mm -hmm. I'm just rushing past some, uh, not rushing past, but lots of the extra fluff I don't have time for, basically. So thank you for the question, Hexity. Okay, so now we're going on to our good friend Ben, otherwise known as Do Baldur's Gate to You Cowards, something that we still refuse to do all these years later, and we'll hopefully continue to do so so he never changes his name are there any games you'd like to do but haven't because emulation fails to properly capture an aspect of the original what impact generally do you feel emulating has on your experience versus playing on the original well this is hardware? easy it makes it vastly better <laughs> <laughs> well i just first let's answer the first part of that question first james okay. because my answer is my answer is no because i haven't played you know handheld games or wii games but I know you already have an answer for this because you've told me you want to play this one game, but that we have to do it on the original 3DS uh, The handheld. original DS handheld, actually. The World Ends With You, I think, would right. be... Well, I've played the remakes that aren't on the original hardware, and I hate them because the original was so cool and interesting. And I think DS, 3DS games in particular are, like, super interesting because their hardware really, you know, isn't matched anywhere else. So... That and Wii games maybe are my, you know, my big answers for that one. Maybe light gun games or like... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, or, or weird rhythm games. <laughs> I, I've kind of been interested in doing a Professor Layton game. Do they use the DS Yes, I've played uh, one. Hardware? Yeah, I'd love to play another Much? one. Yeah, I'd, li I'd like to give them a go because they seem fun and also the kind of thing that I could play in bits and pieces pretty easily without dedicating a big play sesh to it um for the second part um james you're completely right emulating has made this show well firstly it's made this show possible which is you know which is a good thing you and i got over the pandemic it's insane like and you and i are just not game collectors a, a lot of these other retro podcasts i feel like they're very you know and there's nothing wrong with this but they're very concerned with the 
I guess, physical owning of the game or the hardware and all those bits and pieces. Whereas I feel like our focus is very much on the playing of the video game and that's where I want it to remain. When hardware influences the playing of the video game, obviously I do care and it's something to consider. But broadly speaking, I don't think I'm ever going to buy like a PS1 to experience a game on PS1 on a CRT. I'm just not going to do that. Uh, emulating it is a zillion yeah, times easier. Buying a remaster on the Switch like with um, Star Wars Republic Commando. <laughs> oh, hmm. That was a mistake. Should have emulated that one. <laughs> Yeah, well, didn't you... What was it? It was something to do with the audio? Was Scarf? Um, I can't remember. It was just a bit weird to control, I guess. Um, it wasn't terrible. Also, yeah. trying to play Baldur's Gate 2 on the PS4 was very funny. <laughs> what What a great choice. Apparently, Disco is fine on consoles, though, although I mean, it's still that's probably better probably on PC. probably fine. I don't see any reason. Wait, is it even on it's consoles? It's definitely on Switch. I'm sure it is. Oh, uh, yeah, it is on Switch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, overall emulating is fantastic, uh, but for at least in my history of playing video games, it's been mouse and keyboard all the way. And even when it hasn't been mouse and keyboard, I've wanted it to be mouse and keyboard. I'm a big fan of how the Wii now has mouse and keyboard support in all the emulators, so I can just even play those games. Although something like Wii Golf may not I'm be so as sad the Wii you failed. That console was cool. It was like. There was so much stuff that could be done that can't be now. It's like a lot. It's like yeah, the Switch has yeah, replaced it's like, it. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I hope the Switch Two has a second screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll see. All right, we're on the home stretch now. Just two questions to go, James. Uh, the first one is by Augmented. He asks, sorry, they ask, uh, do you find that older games have something that newer games don't? If yes, what is it, and why do you think it's lacking from newer games? If no, do you find that games are generally worse, better, or just different than, say, 25 years ago? To cap it off, are you hopeful for the future of gaming, namely AAA games, or do you think only indies will ever be the ones experimenting with new and interesting ideas? Um, I kind of touched on part of this before. Mm. I think it's just different. As for the AAA and indie thing, I don't want to say never, but there is basically zero reason for a AAA developer to take a big risk these days, right? Mm. Like, I think if you have lots of money, like, you may as well just play it safe with stuff that you know is going to sell because you can just do what Valve did with Portal or what Riot did with Auto Chess is you just wait for some average Joe to make the next big thing and then you buy them out. And then you, you know, you develop the thing as the main publisher. You don't need to invest money in experimenting with hundreds of different like things that may or not sell. Yeah, you do what Apex Legends did, right? Like it saw Battle Royale was a thing. It got a team to refine the Battle Royale formula into something very specific yep. and extremely polished. They announced the game and released it on basically the same day and it was a roaring success. Why would you ever do anything other than that? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I, I do wish that some, like, I like when companies take risks. It's just, it's unlikely to me. I understand why, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not hopeful in that sense, I guess. But I do think that there is probably a lot of interesting new stuff to discover moving forward still. We're still 
you know, I think there's a lot of space that's been explored in the medium, mm. but I think there is still lots of space to explore. Yeah, I think one of the keys of this question, you know how you said you think games are just different? I think games yes. are definitely just different and we should, you know, evaluate them as just different pieces of art. But I think it's fair to say that AAA games are less interesting than they used to be. I agree with yeah. that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they, they've got... Less innovation, more copying, more open worlds. I guess to quickly name examples, would you say like Death Stranding and Doom Eternal were examples of like innovation in the gameplay space? Uh, absolutely, yeah. yes. I, and this is coming from someone who doesn't even like Doom Eternal. My perspective on Doom Eternal is that even if I bounced off it and didn't enjoy the resource management heavy style of that game, I think they took a concept and refined it and did something really interesting with it and ramped it up to 11 and yeah. props to them. Um, my problem with a lot of the discussion about Doom Eternal is that it's, it's like... It's so divisive. It's well, so well, funny. A lot of people say this is the best FPS ever made. This is redefined what FPSs are. And I'm like, well, no, this is like a very specific niche fps in a lot of ways like it, it's a very it's a very narrow thing that and for me a game like dusk is a far better and more interesting fps for my personal sensibilities with which is more about you controlling your pace through interestingly designed levels whereas doom eternal is all about a very specific combat system which is closer to devil may cry devil may cry yeah yeah, yeah. is a first person shooter yeah, yeah but that's what i mean it's not like how fps games are moving forward it's just a very particular execution of an idea i really hope another developer tries that concept again i feel like we won't see another one of those for a long time uh, Proteus does it a little bit, like with with the way the games work, but it's far easier than Doom Eternal. Um, yeah. Ultra Kill has similar pacing to Doom Eternal, and in fact, it has similar combat arena gameplay style. But if I, I enjoy Ultra Kill a lot more because it's far lower on complexity and resource management, yeah. you have a far smaller roster of weapons, so it's more about using that roster of weapons more efficiently than just constantly cycling through 12 different things um mm. so there are games that have definitely drawn from doom eternal i'm sure they'll continue to do so uh, but yeah i i guess we're probably gonna have to wait for doom eternal 2 or doom 3 or whatever they I, want to i'm it. really interested to see where the next game goes I how can they, they make um, it more complicated like it's hard because well, i don't think they will i think they'll try and hit a middle ground yeah both games. the thing is the step up from 2016 to eternal is just absurd like Gigantic. you can't just yeah. do that again it, it's hard it's almost like i feel they need to drop it for five to ten years and then and then do it again <laughs> do it yeah. again but more refined yeah, just, yeah. just be least... happy with what doom eternal is at least fix your aesthetic. God, that was bad. It was. Such a drop, yeah. yeah. So are you are you hopeful for what's coming next, James? Or do you think that it's going to be indies continuing to lead the charge for innovation? Um, Disco Elysium was the third game probably in that. Uh, they're not big, but... Disco you know, is an indie I think, game, I think. It is an indie yeah. game, but it does feel like it's polished. Um, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful. I do think indie games are going to lead the charge for a while. I think we're going to get lots of like janky games that get picked up by big publishers mm. and turned into real games and i think that's real games you know what i, I mean? mean i think that's fine as well i mean valve did that with portal 
like portal was yeah, a student and project yeah and... i yeah. basically I, I guess how i feel about this is that i'm and i've kind of mentioned this before but i'm okay for the AAA gaming space to not be aimed at me anymore it doesn't need to be <laughs> yeah i think innovation is inevitable too yep. like like what's going to happen like okay for the next 10 years there is zero innovation and during that 10 years not a single person is going to be like this is boring i'm going to try something crazy like if innovation like you know if stagnation happens there's going to be pushback eventually and right? one of so, one of the ways stagnation happens is if there's a significant uh, cost to entry. And that was true before, particularly when it came to graphics engines. Nowadays, way more people can make video games. So no one's, there's, there's not that cost to entry nowadays. I'm so fascinated by the rise of AI image generation in the last six months or something. I think we're going to see people trying, like people who aren't artists trying to make games with that. <laughs> Um, and nothing but programming knowledge, god, basically. I, I can just imagine can you... the lawsuits. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, it's very fascinating because, well, like, if you if you train your model using these images, like, are you liable for that? But it's an original image that looks nothing like them. Well, I don't, I don't know. I'm honestly, it's very confusing because. Can you even prove they used this in the model? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think you're completely right, James. And I'm, I'm going to sit back with popcorn and wait, the shit sh wait for the shit show to unfold. Okay, um, final question uh, from Rosso Dude. And this is, this is a good question from him because Rosso Dude is a modder for many of the immersive sims that I love. Uh, System Shock 2, which I haven't played, but I will force James to play one day. Deus Ex. He's even even recently started dabbling in pathologic one modding. Really? So he's nice. yeah, like very light dabble, like he's literally just started. So I've been plaguing him with suggestions that he's been rightfully ignoring. <laughs> so his question is: what are the best contributions modders can make in preserving and expanding on old games? Do you ever bother with mods that change gameplay or add content in your own time, not just a podcast? Or do you stick purely to patches and quality of life improvements? Yes, I basically stick to that stuff. I have a huge problem with mods where if I can notice the mod in the game, it breaks my immersion so hard. Like it basically, the mod has to be like as high quality as the original or better for me to not uninstall it immediately. Mm -hmm. So basically like when we played through Resident Evil 4, that mod is like a masterpiece of effort and design and time, mm. which is an unrealistic expectation for the vast majority of mods, which can add quality of life features without it being intrusive or noticeable. Um, like, obviously, you know, when you add the mod into your game, but back in the day when I would play like Oblivion and Morrowind and try to mod them, they're kind of like janky shit that like, you know, like you could add Cloud's Buster Sword to Morrowind, <laughs> like stuff. Or the portal gun, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. I'm like, I just, just don't care for this at all. On a first playthrough, I will mostly go for quality of life fixes um, and bug fixes. Uh, I will say that if a game has, if the consensus in the community is that a game is improved by a mod. Uh, significantly yep. then i would probably play with that mod and i think that that's particularly true for games like heroes of might and magic 3 like i uh, 
Do we? I can't remember. Do we just play with the uh, quality actually, of life? Or? Yeah, we did play with the quality of life. I yeah. would actually play the new content for that game. Actually, the yeah, mod for that, that looks really cool. I, I think stuff like that, where I guess there's this weird strategic balance, but that that's a rarity. Um, I will say that for me, in terms of like those significant mods which change gameplay, I think they mostly exist once you've already finished the game. It's yeah. like post-game content i've played multiple mods for deus ex for example on repeat playthroughs don't think i've played rosso's unless i accidentally did but that's next on the list uh i'll also say i think there is something a bit loaded about this question which is that on some level it's not up to me or people in general to decide or hold judgment on what modders do to games like if you are creating a mod for a game and you have a vision for that game to, to, I guess, play differently in the same way that any creator is creating a video game, I shouldn't be able to tell you, you should be modding the game in this way and not other ways. Do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll tell you whether I think it's good or not. But I won't, we shouldn't be telling you what to do. Whether you want to do quality of life fixes or do dramatic changes or whatever, go fucking wild. And I'll judge you or won't judge you, but yeah, I I don't think as a as a community we should be standing in judgment of what modders should do. Modders should do whatever the fuck they want, and then let the chips fall where they may. That definitely is this feeling I get when I see crazy mods that would have taken the person years to make, only for it to get like taken down by Nintendo or whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, man, if you had just made your own game in that time, you'd be loaded, <laughs> and you wouldn't be like in legal issues <laughs> there's like there's like a level of effort there where it's just not worth it to me I well guess. It, it, but that's the thing and that's that's part of why i feel like it's wrong for me to be dictating to modders what they do like these are labors of love they, yes uh, mods are free they've always been free like uh not it's insane. if bethesda has anything to do with it <laughs> uh, not if, not if game newell has anything to do yeah. with it oh my god do you remember all that oh when my he, god uh, yeah that did not go down too well but but yeah, at the end of the day, modders should do whatever the hell they want. And, you know, as as players and members of the community, we can stand in judgment of them. But if modders want to add, you know, fedoras and monocles to their games, to all the characters, then so be it. Um, there's no sense of responsibility on what they should or shouldn't be doing. Doors open, go nuts. You know, like, I think, I think the more freedom modders have to do what they, they want to do to a game, to change it, the better. Yes, and I think I think we're done, James. Oh my God, really? Holy yeah. shit! We're only what like a... two hours and forty minutes in. <laughs> yeah, just just a nice nice short episode, but you know this is the mailbag tradition. Oh my God, thank you so much to everyone for sticking with us through this long journey discussing all these different topics. Thank you so much to our Discord users for their incredible questions. I've really enjoyed talking about this stuff, stuff that I don't usually get to, but which definitely informs a lot of uh, what, what I say on the show. And um, it's literally not possible without you. So thank you for the great questions and thank you for sticking with us all this time. Um, if you're a listener and you are enjoying the show, we would love to have you come by our Discord server and join up and say hello and, you know, start getting those questions ready for next year. As for me, I would absolutely recommend Mailbag 4. <laughs> yeah. Ma mailbag, mailbag 4 has advantages and disadvantages, but on balance, it's well worth your time. I think it's held it's up, held up yeah. well, actually. It's held up as of you know recording several years ago. Maybe we need to review our previous Mailbags 
Yeah, Mailbag 1 was pretty good, but Mailbag 2, give that one a miss. Yeah, yeah, this is the episode 99, which marks the, um, the end of the first part of our show. From episode 100 onwards, we'll be replaying the, the games in the exact order and then re-listening to our reviews and then looking up Genius. if our reviews We've got up. this brilliant formula and we're going to stick to it. Yeah, all those games again. I <laughs> oh, can't wait for Luna. I, I can wait. <laughs> um, yeah, so thank you. Um, and yeah, I guess it's time for us to talk about the big 100 because we've cheated and because we wanted, we always do these mailbag episodes. This is episode 99.5, so we could save episode 100. James, we've mentioned it a few times, but tell the world, what are we doing for episode 100? Well, we're of course playing Pathologic 2. Um, we were very excited to talk about the first game. Um, definitely, like, narratively my favourite game that we've done. Gameplay-wise, could be improved a lot. So I really wanted to play 2 because I was like, I hear they fixed the gameplay, and I'm like, if they fix the gameplay and keep the plot intact, it could probably be my favourite game ever. So um super keen to see how that one pans out although i do worry that because a lot of the appeal of the first game was being lost in this strange world i'm gonna understand everything and that's gonna well be a problem i'm kind of jealous of you james because you get to experience a completely new narrative because you got to do the bachelor for our pathologic playthrough yes. whereas and i'm sure there are plenty of changes to the harris specs to make it interesting but it is a little bit of retreading old ground for me i will say i've started playing this and the way that the quests work is radically different like it's oh, like it's, it's, better, it's just completely different so i can at least say it's not just that they you know improve the first person combat they've put some serious thought into redesigning the systems that govern this game so i'm i'm very mm. excited to give it a fair crack and see if it can fulfill the promise of what the first game seemed to be trying to achieve i will say having played a bit of it already i think the soundtrack's downgrade already maybe that's something mods can mm. fix from <laughs> just put the original from speaking back in. <laughs> to the team over on rosso's server the consensus is that pathologic one's ost is definitely more enjoyable uh in the abstract but the os the pathologics 2 can add a lot to the immersion intention in the moment to moment feel and maybe that's something that will sink in as we as we get that deep into it mm, i hope so but we'll see you know that's that's just the general consensus i've heard all right well we'll see you guys in probably two weeks for pathologic 2 look forward to it see you in three weeks happy new year